Shivani along with the living legend Larry Zabisco here for the first hour. Fans, as you know, World Championship Wrestling based in Atlanta, Georgia. The home, of course, of the Centennial Olympic Games. We were all very moved by seeing the greatest Muhammad Ali, former Olympic gold medalist, light the torch this past week at the opening ceremony in, in Atlanta. It wasn't too long ago Muhammad Ali was a part of World Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantor. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to a Nitro, which uh, we have uh, a full roster because uh, the guys are back from Japan, and we're going to find out if the Giant is going to accept Hulk Hogan's challenge for Hog Wild. Indeed. Before we get into all of that, I do want to remind you that you can follow us at Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out at Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro, and you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Now we are coming to you live once again from Disney MGM Studios, and it is July 22nd, 1996, for the 45th episode of Monday Nitro. Uh, incidentally, with the uh, bonus episodes that we've done, this is the 50th episode of 20 Years of Nitro. So congratulations to you, Dave. We've made it 50 episodes. <laughs> right. That's crazy. Because like, I know it was a while that we were talking about doing a podcast, yeah. not even knowing, like a wrestling podcast, not knowing what we we're going to do. And then eventually agreeing on Nitro, and then it took a long time before we had the means to record. So the fact that like we're at this point and we've done this is gonna be our fiftieth, that's crazy. <laughs> that's I mean, I'd be interested to find out like how many like hours and minutes we have of like recorded, like oh sure, yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting because it's like that's a lot of talking about Nitro. <laughs> And we're only, we're like just into the NWO era. Yeah, we're almost to one year worth yeah. of shows. It was it was funny. I was talking to my brother who, you know, he's been on our show before. Correct, yep. And it was just like, oh, man. I mean, there's a way to go, but like it gets really rough at the end. <laughs> like there's going to be some weeks it's just like, oh, man. But not right now. Right now we're pro in like some of the most exciting times for, for Nitro, even if they are at like this MGM studios and <laughs> it, it, I, at this point I find it kind of, I found myself kind of like charmed by the whole idea oh, sure. of them. And like, especially since there's people in the front row, if they're doing, if they're doing anything like you, you a hundred percent like are distracted by, Oh, I've got a lot to say about the front row this week. <laughs> yes. Actually. Uh, well, we are still three weeks away from hog wild, which is getting a full five weeks of build. Uh, it's coming up on Saturday. August something. I don't remember the uh, exact. The 10th. Yep. Saturday, August 10th. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we left off last week with Hollywood Hogan challenging the WCW heavyweight champion, the Giant, to a title match at that pay-per-view. Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show tonight alongside the living legend, Larry Zbysko. Tony opens by talking about the touching sight of Muhammad Ali lighting the Olympic torch last week at the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games in WCW's backyard of Atlanta, Georgia. Apparently, the point of mentioning this was so WCW could just roll footage of Hollywood Havoc 94, which featured Eric Bischoff presenting Ali with a donation on behalf of World Championship Wrestling. Mm -hmm. I guess they're just like, 
hey, you all, you're all thinking about Ali right now. Uh, he kind of was involved with us once. Like, it's just sort of latching on to a celebrity in the news, I guess. Yeah, and I suppose since, um, um, isn't Turner kind of getting the coverage for the Olympics? No, they're they're renting all their trucks out, but they didn't get to cover the Olympics. Oh. They wanted to along with NBC, but it didn't work out okay. for them. And I thought it was it was interesting that, to hear about the Muhammad Ali lighting the torch because I feel like that's kind of become one of the most iconic moments absolutely it just in sports in general like him coming out there uh to, to light the torch and like you know how much he was his he was physically suffering even then um but uh yeah i you know it, it seemed like it seemed kind of goofy that they're like hey remember two years ago when you did like this one thing with him and i i might be mistaken i didn't watch the whole pay-per-view but just in kind of trying to find more information about it i don't think that was even a segment that was on the pay-per-view I think on the show, he was mostly just shown like sitting in the crowd. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the awarding of that thing was either was probably before the actual pay-per-view even went on air. Maybe it it was on main event or something like that. The (laughs) pre-show also competing in the Olympics is NBA star Shaquille O'Neal. So, hey, let's roll some footage of him with Hogan and speculate how he feels about Hogan's heel turn. So they're really just sort of (laughs) grasping at some (laughs) Olympic straws and trying to be like, yeah, some of those guys, they. They're sort of involved literally two years ago. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so I have an interesting thing about the Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Um, So they were showing his promo from 94 with Hulk Hogan, and I was just like kind of blown away of how thin he was Right. then. Uh, So in between, since last week's Nitro, he signed with the Lakers for seven years, $121 million, which in 96 was a lot. And so what I did is I tried to figure out, okay, so – how much would that be worth today? Right. Uh, so today with inflation, seven years would be at $190.3 million. And then I mentioned- Is that a max deal now? I don't know a lot about NBA contracts. Well, I was mentioning that because a week ago, the Minnesota Timberwolves signed Andrew Wiggins to a max contract, which was five years, $146.5 million. Mm-hmm. And so I, try, I was like, well, if I push that to seven- then he would have made seven years, 205.1. Wow. So he would have been, so Andrew Wiggins is getting paid more than Shaquille O'Neal in his prime. <laughs> and I, and I was like, that's awesome because <laughs> as much money as the NBA makes, the players should be getting as much as they can. Absolutely. And so I was just, I was just like, 121 sounds like a lot, but nope, it wouldn't even be considered a max nowadays. That's very interesting. <laughs> Welcome to NBA Sports Minute. Yeah. (laughs) Tony says tonight that we're going to get an answer from the Giant to Hogan's challenge. And Larry says the Dungeon of Doom will force the Giant to accept because they hate Hogan so much. And I really don't like that comment because it kind of like the Giant is playing the babyface in this feud. Mm -hmm. So to like make him seem like he's reluctant to accept a challenge, that's like a heel thing. Yeah. You know, so I thought Larry was just kind of. I hate when they sort of make up their own storylines. Bobby does that a lot mm-hmm. um, because like when you just do it off the top of your head, sometimes you're going to run counter to what actually makes sense for the characters yeah. at that given moment of time. I mean, in Bobby's defense, he he knows to kind of like have it progress where it's supposed to be progressing. I, I feel like he has a better understanding of how to follow the storyline, even if he's going into sure uh, business for himself. But 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 Larry just has kind of his own opinion and perspective on things that like pretty much no one else has we then get a clip of last week to remind us of the nwo's despicable and brazen use of spray-painted bedsheets tony warns us that we never know when or if the outsiders are going to show up and wreak havoc 
The Blue Bloods theme plays and out comes Squire David Taylor, accompanied by Jeeves, but otherwise flying solo. No Earl Robert Eaton, no Lord Stephen Regal. Mm-hmm. Out next is Scott Norton, as Tony fills us in that on Saturday night, Norton walked out on his partner Ice Train during their match against the Steiners. Larry says that Norton could only deal with a green wrestler like Ice Train for so long before giving up on him. Only he doesn't say green, he says neophytic because he's Larry Zabisco. <laughs> now that uh, Saturday Night Walking Out bit that they're talking about there, that is the official breakup of Fire and Ice. We, oh, we, yeah. we saw a big thing about it on Nitro last week, but they must have filmed that Saturday, because that Saturday Night stuff is filmed usually pretty far in advance. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe plans change and they had, because the, the Nitro thing really felt like the split. So it's almost bizarre that they paired yeah, again after that. Because I'm pretty sure that in their argument with each other, they pretty much were like, we're going to have a match. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think at some point Bischoff last week said that they had split or like he was sort of recapping what happened in our hour one. He was like, fire yeah. and ice split. And mm-hmm. So yeah, it was just, I think they just had some extra yeah. stuff they'd already filmed. They had to burn off. Bottom line, this Nitro, they're broken up. <laughs> yes. Tony says that as a result of their disagreement on Nitro last week and Saturday night several days later, Norton and Ice Train are both happy to sign a contract to face each other at Hog Wild. I'm interested in that match, uh, especially since I just tend to find Scott Norton more compelling when he's in singles action. And I love Ice Train. He's sort of one yeah. of my, like, guys where I I get why he's not, like, world champion, mm-hmm. but I really, really like him. He's, and, he's just really... I'm always happy when yeah, he's in Yeah, and, we, and we've talked before about, like, he just has a unique presence yeah. in the ring with the way he kind of dances about while he's, like, on the offensive. Yeah. And he, it just makes him interesting, and I think that, like, these two are going to have a very, like, interesting clash of styles. And, and, and also, it's just, like, two big men just, like, beating the hell out of each other. That's going to be fun. Absolutely. Norton is definitely the heel in the feud with Ice Train, but due to WCW's muddled booking, he's cheered on with USA chants as this match with Dave Taylor gets underway here tonight. Norton starts strong, whipping Taylor into the ropes and leveling him with a shoulder block. Taylor hits a dropkick, which Norton doesn't sell, but a European uppercut slows the former arm wrestling champion a bit, so Dave Taylor hits two more. Taylor comes off the ropes, but Norton regroups and levels him with a massive clothesline, and Taylor takes a powder to the outside. He tries to get back in the ring, but Norton punches him and tosses him to the canvas. Norton throws Taylor to the corner, but when he goes for a corner splash, there's nobody home, and Taylor tries some more European uppercuts. Taylor makes the same mistake, though, and comes off the ropes at Norton, who tosses him over the top rope to the outside. Norton follows Taylor to the outside to continue the attack, but in the ring, Randy Eller is calling for the bell. Norton goes to run Taylor into the ring post, but Taylor extricates himself and pushes Norton into the post instead. Norton manages to get a hold of Taylor and runs him into the post as the fourth or fifth ring of the bell finally gets Shivani's attention, and sure (laughs) enough, Norton has been disqualified for throwing Taylor over the top rope. Randy Eller joins the men on the outside and explains to Norton what's going on. Norton is disgusted and shoves Taylor away, but heads to the back compliantly. What a way to open WCW Monday Nitro, says Tony, and I don't know any way to take that other than sarcasm. (laughs) Why Norton, who has a pay-per-view match, would lose in a couple minutes via lame DQ to Dave Taylor, mm-hmm. of all people, is beyond me. And it's a very stupid choice to open Nitro with this match and this booking. Yeah. And I have to assume that it was a mistake. That Norton threw him over the top rope and Eller called it according to the rules of WCW. Sure. Even though they almost never do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just, I can't think of any other reason, because this is like a minute and a half and it opens the show. There's just, yeah. there's no way for me to take this other than like, 
Norton just fucked up and or Randy Eller. I guess it depends on which way you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. But but this was not the plan (laughs) for how this was supposed to go. Yeah. This match was just like over as soon as it started. And there it did. It seemed legitimately like Scott Norton didn't know like why he was like being yelled at by the referee. (laughs) And he and and he when he leaves, he looks like disgusted. Yeah. And and I'm sure once he figured out what had happened, he's just like, oh, man, like he probably was disappointed in himself because if anything, he realizes it makes him look stupid. Right. Yes, absolutely. You know, <laughs> either way, uh, scripted or not, Dave Taylor looks really pleased with himself yes. to pick up the disqualification victory. So no matter what, he plays it hilariously. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. He has like this smirk on his face when he realizes that he won. That's just priceless and kind of like makes up for it. Tony sends us to commercial, but not before hyping our next match. The Mexican heavyweight champion Conan versus VK Wall Street. And through the echoes of time, you can actually hear the people in 1996 reaching for their remotes. <laughs> As we go to commercial, we even get a little bumper promo from VK Wall Street. Conan, let me explain something to you. VK Wall Street is a man who knows international markets and knows international superstars. Well, I understand you're the kingpin of Mexico, but tonight on Monday Nitro, you're in for a hostile takeover and you better be ready. Wall Street says that he's a man who knows international markets and he knows international superstars. He knows Conan is the kingpin of Mexico, (laughs) but tonight on Nitro, he's in for a hostile takeover. Then he adds the totally useless little end of, and you better be ready. Yeah. Like, (laughs) ending on the hostile takeover line was way more effective than adding, like, just this little dangling, Mm -hmm. uh, also be be ready for the takeover. Yeah. (laughs) He is such a bad promo. Like, how did he spawn Bray Wyatt? (laughs) Right. That's just insane. He's so bland. And Bo Dallas. Bo Dallas is also a a pretty good promo. Very true. Mm -hmm. It's a very different kind of good promo, too. Yeah, they both they both have like unique creative styles that comes from VK Wall Street who <laughs> looks like it's just the last thing he wants to do on this planet is like talk in front of a camera. <laughs> After the commercial, we return to Disney MGM and we can hear Mean Gene, but his mic isn't all the way up, mm-hmm. so we can't really make out what he's saying. Steve Maga McMichael and of course Chris Benoit along with the Nature Boy will be facing Lex Luger Sting. And uh, they're a partner, the Macho Man Randy Savage. The whereabouts uh, of the Nature Boy somewhat in question right now, Aaron Anderson. Maybe they're in a question in your mind, but certainly not in mine or any of the horsemen. You see, Ric Flair likes expensive cars. He's got those. He likes beautiful women. And obviously, we've got those. But knowing Rick like you have for all these years, you know the one thing he likes better than anything, Gene Oakland? He likes to showboat. He likes to make an entrance, and he will be here right on cue. All right, uh, as you partake in uh, some of the goodies here, Steve Mongo McMichael, the horsemen, are uh, are back in fine fashion. You've got your work cut out for you tonight, however. Oh, thank you, Mean Gene. It's been my pleasure to take care of a few pretty boys in the WCW. And you notice I didn't say that other thing. Who cares about the outsiders? And now's my chance to get it to real pretty boys. Macho, Luger, Sting. They ain't gonna be looking so pretty after tonight. 
All right, one thing I should point out, Chris Benoit, for the record, I've got to believe that Sting, Luger, and the Macho Man would like to vent a lot of what's happened to them at the hands of the New World Order, the Outsiders recently. They may take it all out on the Horsemen tonight. Sting, Lex Luger, Macho Man, you're going to experience the Crippler firsthand tonight. Unrelentless, vicious, merciless, silent but violent. Horsemen. Forever, apparently. Hand me a banana if you would, Mongo. Right now, let's get you back up to the ring. And the camera is just panning the entrance aisle, but he's not there, so it just all of a sudden seems like no one knows how the fuck this show is supposed to be run. <laughs> right. After a moment, they fix the audio, and we cut to the VIP table, which has found its way to Orlando. At it sits Arn Anderson, Mongo McMichael, and Chris Benoit, as woman Miss Elizabeth and Deborah McMichael are forced to stand in the background. Gene wonders where Flair is, but Arn is unconcerned. Arn goes over a couple things that Flair likes, expensive cars and women, but says that the thing that Flair likes most is to make an entrance, and he'll do that right on cue tonight. Then Flair takes a giant bite of an apple, so Gene moves on to Mongo, saying that though the horsemen are back together, they have their work cut out for them tonight. I like this part because uh, Gene Okerlund is like leaning over the table, yeah. and clearly like right in front of Arn Anderson, and Arn's trying not to look like really awkward because <laughs> he's kind of like peering over his arm and being like, yeah, this is fine. I'm cool with this. Now, this deal with where is Ric Flair is going to be like kind of a running storyline for the night. They make a, a mm -hmm. big deal, as you'll see, over where Flair is tonight. Mongo, who says everything in his promo about like one and a half notches too loud, yep. claims that he's handled a few pretty boys here in WCW. I guess that's Joe Gomez, based on who he's wrestled. I'm just, I don't know who else that would apply to. And then he says, notice I didn't say that other thing, and I don't know what he means by that unless he's congratulating himself for not calling them faggots. Uh, he's like, no. I've handled pretty boys. Notice I'm not saying that other thing. Oh, when I heard that, I thought that he was like, I'm not going to refer to like beating up on other NFL players. Okay, yeah, maybe. I, I mean, who knows what's going on in the mind of Mongo? Yeah. But I really took it as like, hey, I called him pretty boys. I didn't call him what I wanted to call him. Okay. But uh, which, who knows? Which, like, in the past, we've sh we've seen that, like, wrestlers like to veer in that direction as far as insults are yeah, concerned. Yes. So you, you're probably right. Then he asks, who's worried about the Outsiders, despite Gene's question having nothing to do with the Outsiders <laughs> at all? <laughs> who's worried about them? I'm not worried about them. <laughs> Now it's his chance to get at the real pretty boys, Macho, Luger, and Sting. Because when I think of pretty boys, I instantly think of the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Right. His boyish good looks. Gene then asks Chris Benoit if he's concerned that Sting, Luger, and Savage might take out their frustrations over their treatment by the Outsiders on the Horsemen. As always, Benoit completely ignores the question. Yep. <laughs> he, he has no interest. He's just like, wait until that person speaks. Then you speak. <laughs> Deliver line. End promo. <laughs> he tells the babyfaces instead that they'll experience tonight the crippler firsthand. Unrelentless, vicious, and merciless. Yeah. He, 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 he pronounces it really strangely. He, he tried. <laughs> also, silent but violent, which I love that he says that at the end of all his promos after he's been talking for like a good 20 seconds. Yeah. Then he just says, horseman. Because <laughs> there, there was a pause there. Yeah. Gino Quinn did hold the microphone there, and he was like, am I supposed to say something else? Wait, what group am I in? Okay. 
Horseman. He just goes horseman, and then Gene tries to kind of cover for him, and he's like, forever, no doubt. <laughs> right. like, he's like, that's maybe what you wanted to say there. <laughs> I don't know. Gene asks Mongo to hand him a banana, and then cringes in fear when Mongo pretends to throw one at him. Yeah. And then you just get a second of him looking, like, really indignant before it cuts. <laughs> it's very, very funny. <laughs> And then Arn Anderson also tries to hand him one, too. Oh, I missed that. Because he's like, I'm closer. (laughs) (laughs) Dave Penzer introduces VK Wall Street, and as he walks out, Shivani has to really work to think up of a compliment for him. (laughs) He he goes like, uh, he's, what does he say? It's like, out comes VK Wall Street, who certainly is a, uh, uh, tough competitor. (laughs) (laughs) He then hypes the main event tonight, pointing out that this will be the first time that Lex, Sting, and Randy have teamed together since the Bash at the Beach. Next out is Conan, and Larry and Tony offer varying explanations as to why he lost the U.S. title to Flair. Tony points out the massive amounts of outside interference in that match by Woman and Miss Elizabeth, while Larry's theory is that Conan wasn't confident enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, here to call all the action is our own Mexican heavyweight champion, <laughs> Dave Amendorp. <laughs> long-standing Mexican heavyweight champion. Yeah, undefeated. Yeah. Yeah, when Wall Street came out, I'm sure that he regrets wearing a full suit in that Orlando weather, too. Oh, God, yeah. He, does, he, uh, he looks kind of uncomfortable as it is, too. And He's then, been wrestling, I mean, with the IRS gimmick. Mm-hmm. He That just always looked miserable to me with a tie and everything. Yeah. God. Not only that, because he also sweats a lot. Yes, he is a known sweater. <laughs> yeah, and uh, nothing like a full suit to really like highlight all that sweating. But then, uh, um, like you said, out comes Conan, who they've said several times is still the Mexican heavyweight champion, but he does not bring out the Mexican heavyweight title. Hmm. <laughs> well, the match begins with some jostling for position before Conan takes Wall Street to the mat with an arm drag. Shivani mentions Conan being the first man to hold both the U.S. title and Mexican heavyweight title at the same time, which is quite an accomplishment, considering the Mexican heavyweight title was something Conan just made up. <laughs> I, I I know you don't like Conan. I think WCW made it up. I don't think he, like, told them he was the Mexican shit, and they were like, oh, wow. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I'll believe what I want to believe. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, back on his feet, VK gains the advantage, slamming Conan's head into the turnbuckle before kicking him while he's down. VK tries for a sleeper, but Conan counters with a chinbreaker, followed by what I refer to as a low bridge drop kick to the back. Conan then slaps on an armbar. As they return to their feet, Conan tries to convert the armbar into a Kimura, but Wall Street escapes a hole before tossing his adversary to the outside. Outside of the ring, Wall Street slams Conan's head to the steel steps before rolling back into the ring himself. Now with both men back in the ring, Wall Street whips Conan to the opposite corner, where uh, Conan does the thing where he tries to like vault over uh, the the charging guy, but yeah. um, but VK Wall Street doesn't have any of it, and when he turns when Conan turns around, he just get, gets kicked in the gut. Uh, Wall Street then begins working on Conan's left knee. Uh, during this, Conan sneaks in a schoolboy for a two-count, but VK is quickly back on the offensive, where, where a couple of elbow drops gets VK Wall Street a two-count. And then a rear chin lock as a loud chant for Conan breaks out in mm-hmm. Orlando. We get some more back-and-forth action, which means I wasn't paying attention for a few seconds there before Wall Street gets on a hammer lock. <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking... Uh, 
he is Cuban. I wonder if that's like maybe so, maybe there's enough people in Florida. Well, these are mostly tourists. They're not like yeah. South Florida residents or anything. Right. So never mind. That probably has nothing <laughs> to do with it. Uh, and then as uh, VK is forced to break the hammerlock hold, we actually get an Irwin chant going, which I liked because it means some fans actually know who he is. Uh, so Wall Street, he hits what they call the stock market crash, which is Wall Street's finisher. Oh, boy. And it's merely a Samoan drop. A Samoan drop called the stock market crash. Which, if you're VK of Wall Street and you work in the stock market, why would you like the stock market crash? That was exactly what I thought. <laughs> <It> made... <laughs> right? <laughs> He's not... Co- yeah, I, it's baffling. And and I, I guess that's fitting that he tried to use a stock market crash and it didn't work. Because uh, his cover is just simply rolled up into a reversal by Conan for the three count. Yeah, and frankly, if your finisher is a Samoan drop called the stock market crash, you deserve to have it just reversed into a pin by your opponent. Right, yeah. There there was nothing about like the way he hit it or how it was reversed. It was just Conan's like, nah, I'll just pin you instead. And VK presumably agreed to that. Mike Rotundo is like, ah, just turn my finish into your own pin even though I hit the move successfully? Yeah. Why not? Who cares? <laughs> right. It's so weird. And then as we get the replay of some of the uh, events leading up to the finish, uh, Larry Zabisco, I didn't write down what he said, but uh, it was more racist comments. Yeah, Conan grabs a bite of food at the VIP. And I don't even have it specifically either. I have... Conan grabs a bite of food at the VIP table while Larry makes a green card joke, I, but I don't have what it is. Oh, he said he wishes that he stole the U.S. title because that was his way of getting into the country. He, Yeah, he, he makes several shitty jokes about Conan tonight. After that, Mean Gene is in the entrance area with Sting, Lex, and Randy Savage. All right, Tony Schiavone and uh, Larry Zabisco, I thank you gentlemen very much. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. What at first we practice to deceive. The New World Order making a big impact here on World Championship Wrestling and wrestling fans all over the world. However, we've got bigger fish to fry, as they say right now. The Macho Man, Randy Savage, the total package. Sting joining me a little bit later on tonight. They're going to be facing Chris Benoit, Steve Mongo McMichael, and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. But right now, Lex Luger, I don't know where Ric Flair is. He hasn't shown up here. He's probably out somewhere, maybe in a big fat limo. Maybe in a catered hotel room, but we came here to make a statement. There's a lot of things happening here in World Championship Wrestling from all different angles. New World Order. Last week, I got stomped into a mud hole. I'll be the first to say it, but where were everybody else? The Stinger, the Mashiro in Japan. That's how they want to play it. Now we're here to make a statement. We want the horsemen. We're here. As WCW, we're here to make a strong statement of where us three are at. Isn't that right, Stinger? Yes, that is right, Mr. Total Package. But you know something? I just want to make one correction. In the scheme of things, it might seem kind of small, but there's only one guy who rides in a big, fat limo around here, and that guy can stick it. You know who I'm talking about. Now, as far as the Nature Boy goes, where are you? I don't care where you are. I just want any one of the horsemen to step on out into the ring because I feel like chomping on a horseman tonight. All right, Macho Man Randy Savage, you know these three men you're going to be facing tonight. You know them very well. Let's say the same thing a different way. I want Hogan here. I want the Nature Boy here. I want the Outsiders here. And let's get it over with in one night. 
The Knights, the Knights, get over here. Hogan, get over here. Nature Boy, get over here. Let's do it. All right, a lot of things on these men's mind. As you know, Lex Luger and Sting are going to be facing the Outsiders at Hog Wild on August the 10th, but later tonight, the Horsemen. We've got more Monday Night Raw. Lock it in. We're going to be right back. Gene starts with the total package, the television champion, Lex Luger. He asks Lex where Flair is, and Lex speculates maybe in a limo, maybe in a catered hotel room, but either way, the baby faces came to make a statement. He points out that he got stomped into a mud hole last week, which is exactly what he says, stomped into a mud hole. Oh, gross. <laughs> but it's only because his buddies Sting and Savage weren't there. He reiterates that they are there tonight to make a statement, a strong statement of where they're at. Mm. He loves saying like something and then adding a modifier to it afterward. Yeah. We're here to make a statement, a strong statement. Just uh, the other one is, I think, Great American Bash, where he's like, they made a lot of lo noise, a lot of loud noise. Yes. <laughs> the exact same yeah. thing lex like has a weird thing where he does that by the way in reference to last week we never really found out what happened once the show went off the air yeah nwo was surrounded by like the rest of the locker room and i don't know they called a truce yeah it's too bad to were you know not the cell phone era because somebody would have filmed a little bit of it or it would like we could have got a little bit of overrun on the network or something but yeah. no it's just like Nitro can just end on a cliffhanger, and then they like act like it didn't happen next time. Right. Uh, so yeah, Lex says that they're going to make a straight statement, a strong statement, but rather than explain what that statement is, Lex just asks Sting to start talking, Yeah. which is a thing Lex always does. Another Lexism, when he runs out of stuff to say, mm -hmm. he's just like, tell him, Stinger, like, yeah. bail me out of this, please. <laughs> and Sting's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> Sting starts off by agreeing that they are there to make a strong statement, and he calls he calls Lex Mr. Total Package, which is delightful. Just polite. So polite. But Sting wants to make one small correction, and that's that there's only one guy who rides in a limo, and he can stick it. Oh. So he's bringing it back to Hollywood Hogan. Although Ric Flair literally describes himself as a limousine riding. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever. Sting asks where Flair is, but then says he doesn't care. And then says he doesn't. <laughs> and then says he wants any of the horsemen in the ring so that he can chomp on them. <laughs> cool. It's Macho's turn now, and he wants all his enemies here tonight so he can solve all of his issues at once. Gene closes up the segment, and we never learn what statement it is that Lex wants these guys to make tonight. But it's gonna be strong, though. It's gonna be so strong. <laughs> we go to commercial, and our world is about to change. Any moment now. But uh, the the pr little commercial is actually different this time. Uh, instead of just like shots of boots and Glacier sort of mouth turning and breathing, mm -hmm. uh, this time we actually see like the full outfit. It's this very like. Sub-Zero rip-off ninja thing. Yeah. And he's just doing martial arts exercises in front of, like, a big white building. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I mean, it's different. It's something new. Yeah. I mean, and, and the more you see it, the more it's like, they were really trying to capitalize on the Mortal Kombat movie. Oh, it's very clear that this is their attempt to, like, Mortal Kombat's, and not just the movie, but the games, I think. Like, Mortal Kombat's, like, a big cultural thing mm -hmm. in 1996. It's pretty huge. Uh, I think the original came out in 94. Uh, so, like, they're definitely trying to, like, let's just do that, but wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> yes. With one of our top talents in the company. Shivani welcomes us back to the show and promises a brand new eight-man tag featuring some young up-and-coming stars of WCW. He then tosses us to an amazing video package of Joe Gomez, Jim Powers, Alex Wright, and the Renegade, each taking turns looking bored 
walking on the beach, taking their shirt off, and then walking on the beach with their shirt off. <laughs> like, each of them follows that exact mm-hmm. um, same pattern, just one after the other. There's no, like, mixing, like, here's Alex Wright, like, walking on the beach, and then here's Joe Gomez with his shirt off. No, it's always a guy walking, he takes his shirt off, mm-hmm. then he walks with the shirt off for a little bit. Yeah. Every time. And they never smile or anything like that. Then it cuts to all four of them walking on the beach together with their shirts off. It's amazing. It's so this is, funny. This, yeah, I I hope we could find like that as a clip online so we can post that when this goes up because it's like my my note was this has to be seen to be believed. <laughs> it's so good. And and one, my other highlight is I don't remember I don't know what order they come in because like honestly, I mean. You could tell which one's Alex Wright, but the other three are virtually the same looking guy. Gomez and Jim Powers, especially. Well, and the Renegade without the R on his cheek. Yeah, but whoever whoever goes last, I, I noticed he had it like cut like he could tear it, but then he just takes the shirt off. I believe that was the Renegade. The Renegade? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was, that was like, this whole video was so amazing. When it's done, Tony just goes, well, there you have it. <laughs> There you have it indeed, Tony (laughs) Schiavone. (laughs) These guys will be facing the Dungeon of Doom in what Tony promises will be a wild and wooly match. Wooly? Yeah, that's what he says. I don't know. Those are all, except for Alex Wright, those guys all have long hair. I don't know. (laughs) Are we getting the return of the Yeti? (laughs) Partly it will be wild because of the debut of a new member of the Dungeon of Doom. A man who has been seen briefly on Saturday night circling the ring during Dungeon of Doom matches. Jimmy Hart comes out leading the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, Hugh Morris, and the Barbarian. Tony wonders where the new guy is, and soon he comes running out behind them. He's a redhead dude wearing a green jacket over green wrestling gear with a four-leaf clover on it. Tony Schiavone says, quote, I believe they call him the Leprechaun. (laughs) And he runs around like a crazy man, and he's got some kind of fake hillbilly teeth gimmick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the level of new character the Dungeon of Doom is working with. Yep. Now, the Leprechaun was born Dwayne Bruce, and he's a 33-year-old wrestler from Georgia. He's been in WCW since 1989, where he joined as a jobber. I couldn't find anything really before that. I think he just trained somewhere and went straight to WCW. Mm-hmm. He very quickly got paired with James Earl to form State Patrol, a heel tag team of highway patrol officers <laughs> who lost a lot. <laughs> They basically lost for the last, like, seven years, and now suddenly he's just a new guy. (laughs) State Patrol. He's been with WCW basically his entire career, although they did loan him to All Japan Pro Wrestling for some stints in 91 and 92. Bruce will be around for a bit under a variety of gimmicks before he will semi-retire to be what he's best known for, a trainer at the power plant. Mm -hmm. He actually, the leprechaun, trains Bill Goldberg, of all people. Leprechaun threatens to attack the broadcast table, which Tony sells by laughing about it. (laughs) In the ring, Hugh Morris and Renegade lock up to start things off. Morris gets some cheap shots, but Renegade whips him into the corner. Renegade catches Morris with a hip toss as Larry claims that the Leprechaun is eating the ring. We never cut to see exactly what he means by this, but that's just a thing he says. (laughs) Morris takes control as Tony says that he's getting word of some kind of commotion in the back with the production area. A cameraman heads to the back to check it out, and we see shit from his perspective. Because if you heard that there was a problem backstage, you would definitely just pick a cameraman and make him run back there. Mm -hmm. And you would definitely just cut to the footage of his camera as he does it. Right. All of that makes 
perfect sense. And and the fact this cameraman is not really in a rush to get there either. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> then we don't even follow him go all the way back. And we're told later on that the production truck is, according to Bischoff, three quarters of a mile from the ring. <laughs> so it's a good thing we don't watch his entire hike, I guess. <sighs> <laughs> Instead, we cut back to the ring, and somehow the match has moved on to the barbarian who is taking it to Alex Wright. <laughs> Wright hits a moonsault where he walks up the turnbuckles, which I think looks really, really cool. Yep. And it wipes out Barbarian. The young German follows with punches on the down Barbarian, and then he fights off an encroaching Sullivan. Suddenly, we cut to the back again, and this time we see Nash and Hall enter Master Control, the like production area in the back where they've got all the screens and mm-hmm. you know the director sits and all that. in the production area. This is Master Control, and there you see the outsiders are here. Well, they're in the control room now. Hold on, what do we got here? What does that do? What's that? Oh, fade to black. Wait a second. Oh, should have bought that cheap TV. (laughs) Wait a, they are completely hijacking this program. We need to get security. They could completely cut us off the air right now. You better not touch my microphone. Well, they don't, they could touch it from in there, Larry. Better get a house on wheels. Better get a house on wheels. Won't be around here long. This is preposterous. I cannot believe what I'm seeing, fans. Well, well, how'd, they get, how'd they get in there? It's the brains. I don't know, but we need to get security back there right now. Do they realize the security realize they can take us off the air? Yeah, here. Security announcer sets up. There's Shut up. Hey, security hey, out there. Hey, ground control to Major Tom. Hey, come on, tell him to pan the crowd. Pan the crowd, man. We're looking for somebody. Pan the crowd. Friend of ours gonna be here, okay. man. Okay. You right. guys are you Come guys are not funny. All right, you got one for me? Hey, what are you? Jackie, show me. Jackie, pan get the off crowd, the ring. Pan the crowd, man. Let's go. Get Jackie, off the crowd. if you can hear me, get off the ring. Go to the crowd. Look at us. Do we look like movies? Wow. Okay. Go on the crowd. Show, show them eight. On the crowd. Take eight. I've take never eight been on a the crowd. Show us oh, eight, would crying. you? Okay. Back on the movie stars. Back on the movie stars. Come on. Find us somebody to look at. Hello. Can we get to the match here? Back on us. Back on us. Okay. Back on the crowd. I can't get a word in here. Hold on. Eight. Security in the control Jet, room. Six. Six sheets of crowd. Six. Easy. Back to the crowd. For goodness sake. Come on. On the crowd. On the crowd. Pan the crowd, man. We're looking David. for something. Hey, you never know who might turn up. Security, David. Oh, you guys get him off the crowd. Don't touch, don't touch me. I'll sue you. Okay, cut. I'll sue you. Set the door. That's right. We don't want any trouble. Thank goodness security has arrived. Get him out of there. I'll sue you and everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, I I apologize for what we have seen here. No, man. As you can see, you can see what's going on. Back on the crowd. Make them go in the crowd. Take six. Take six. New world order. Where is and we cannot see what's going on in the ring. We are supposed to bring fans wrestling action. Let's get back to the ring here. We're trying to do a show. We're trying to do a show. We're trying to do a show. Come on, dog. It's always you. Yeah. Easy, guys. Everybody in the mic trailer for pot pies and Mountain Dew. Every party has a poop. Every party has a Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of World Championship Wrestling, there you see security and Doug Dillinger. Is there a way we can get back to action here? Thank goodness. Oh, my. 
Larry, oh, don't look at me. I've had it. There's a very annoying echo now as we get both the audio from the production monitors in the room and the live feed of the show. Nash and Hall mess with some shit and it fades the screen to black briefly. But even fully lit, this bit of the show is just lit horribly. Yeah. This area was not at all like they didn't put any kind of lights back here in preparation of this segment or anything. Mm -hmm. You can barely see what's going on. Hall and Nash make fun of the crew and how much money they make. The outsiders notice the echo and Nash just keeps saying reverb reverb like a kid shouting into the grand canyon <laughs> i always like their thing is like how much money they make yeah they love that <laughs> they love making fun of specifically they're not talking about how much money they make they're talking about how much other people don't make by comparison right <laughs> they move into the next area where wcw director craig leathers and other various crew members are running the show they take a headset and demand that the crew pan the crowd because they're looking for someone for some reason, the show just does. They just listen to these new guys who are yelling orders. <laughs> right. They keep saying they're looking for someone, but the crowd is just a bunch of tourists and nobody interesting, and soon WCW security shows up. Hall and Nash warn them of lawsuits if anybody touches them. Back to scanning the crowd for a bit, but still nothing interesting happens in the crowd, <laughs> and finally Hall and Nash agree to leave. That's about it. They just get escorted out by security. We never find out what the fuck they were looking in the crowd for. Mm -hmm. uh, but as they're pushed out of the room, Nash hilariously insists that everyone go to his trailer for, quote, pot pies and Mountain Dew. <laughs> Which is such a weird combo of, yes. like, grandma's home cooking, but also this green caffeinated piss water. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ever since he's shown up, Nash has been, like, the king of, like, these, like, cast-off lines. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Just like that, we're back to the match, where Kelvin Sullivan is throwing Joe Gomez into the ropes. Gomez goes for a sunset flip, but Barbarian breaks up to count it, too. Gomez goes for a tag, but he's slowed by the leprechaun grabbing his foot. He makes it to the corner and brings in Jim Powers, who runs into Morris, who is tagged in by Sullivan. Tony tries to remain focused, but he can't help but talk about the Outsiders. Larry is also annoyed at the actions of Nash and Hall. As Larry vents, Powers takes advice from outside the ring from Teddy Long, who has suddenly appeared as if from nowhere, yes. by the way that we've been <laughs> presented this as a television audience. Right. Teddy tells him that all he has to fear is fear itself, and this <laughs> manages to get Powers pumped up enough to get back into the ring. I like, I like when you say that. Jeb Powers is nodding his head like, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> An amped-up Powers hits a knee to the gut of Hugh Morris and takes out Kevin Sullivan and the Barbarian when they come in. Suddenly, it's a full-on Donnybrook with all eight men fighting. All of a sudden, the Giant appears. Chokeslam for Renegade, Chokeslam for Gomez, Chokeslam for Powers, and a Chokeslam for Alex Wright. The world champion is here, and he's fucking pissed. Yes. <laughs> he plays the crowd who, for the most part, cheer him. They yep. love that this dude has shown up and just chokeslammed all these... Handsome young baby faces. <laughs> right. So I, uh, I like how this match ended up resulting, despite the fact they had a vignette for all four of the the young guys. They did, and if uh, on Kevin Sullivan's podcast, he says that the reason for why they set it up like this is okay. So the NWO NWO is new and cool. He needed like fresh faces for WCW to like look viable and cool as well. Mm -hmm. So he came up with these, you know, packaging these four guys and 
spoiling the whole like look how handsome they are thing. Yeah. But then we miss half their match and then they get destroyed by one dude. <laughs> right. So I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work <laughs> to get any of them over. <laughs> now, before we talk about what the giant has to say, um, what did you make of the segment? Either probably, you know, not the match so much because nothing happened. But what did you make of the whole outsiders in the uh, production area? Eh, I thought it was pretty dumb, to be honest. Yeah. Um, when they're talking about, like, scanning to see someone, I thought they were, like, trying to just look for hot chicks. Oh, yeah. Maybe there should have been, like, another line or two to make that clear because the way it made it seem was, like, they were waiting on, like, the fourth guy or something. Yeah. But instead, you're just like, no, there's, like, a family from, like, Illinois who's down there for Disney. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's just nothing. Nothing happens. Yeah. and th- But not only that, when they go into the control room, they actually like start messing up with some of the audio and yeah. the visual stuff. Gets it's kind of fucked up for like five or ten minutes after that, and it yeah. seems like it wasn't like a well thought out idea. But I mean, it, it it was all worth it for the pot pies and Mountain Dew comment. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, this was just kind of a. I mean, it was a way to use them, I suppose, but it it wasn't very interesting. Um. Mm. Sullivan says that. The one thing that I guess was kind of interesting is he said that it was uh, Scott Hall's idea for the Outsiders to come during that match um, because it was something that people wouldn't be expecting because, like, they kind of keep them separate from the Dungeon of Doom sort of silly stuff. Mm -hmm. So for them to kind of come during that was unexpected, which I agree with. Uh, and for them to come out so early in the show because usually they've been kind of a main event thing. Yeah. So I guess in, you know, those aspects were a little bit different. But overall... Uh, this was n- not the best use of the Outsiders to date, certainly. <laughs> right, yes. Now, uh, why don't we go to an audio clip of the Giant uh, and his answer to Hulk Hogan. All right, Tony, I thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. I can't believe the carnage we saw here tonight on Nitro, but that has become symbolic of what this man has done since his arrival here in World Championship Wrestling. However, there seems to be a big brick wall in your way right now, you wear the WCW heavyweight title. You're managed by the mouth. Jimmy Hart, you scare me, especially when you're behind me like that. Giant, we heard the challenge from Hulk Hogan. The entire world awaits your response to that challenge. He asked you. He didn't ask. He demanded that you put the title on the line at Hogwild August the 10th. Hogan, when I came into WCW, my mission was to win the World Heavyweight Championship. I did that. And when I won it, I swore an oath, an oath to defend that belt wherever I needed to defend it. Whether it be in Japan, where I was last week, whether it be here in the States. Hogan, you come out and you call yourself part of the New World Order while you've been off in Hollywood making movies, trying to win an Oscar. I've been wreaking havoc in WCW. I've been the cancer in WCW that nobody could cure. But now that you have the new world order, WCW comes to me. Giant, what are we gonna do about Hulk Hogan and the new world order? I tell you what we're gonna do about Hulk Hogan. At Sturgis, we're gonna choke slam him in the middle of the ring. That's what we're gonna do. To believe that is a big affirmative. Yes, he will defend the WCW heavyweight crown coming up at Hogwild. Jimmy Hart, very quickly, we saw you at the top of the program with both Shaquille and Hulk. Hogan, 
Thank you very much. Stay tuned. More Nitro right around the corner when we come back. So what we have is Mean Gene joins Giant in the ring. Gene takes forever to ask the Giant if he's going to accept the challenge of Hulk Hogan to defend the belt at Hogwild. Giant says that his mission when he came to WCW was to win the belt, and he did that. He then says that he swore an oath to defend that title whenever and wherever he could. And this seems like a good time to point out that two weeks ago on Nitro, he was super happy that he didn't have to defend the belt thanks to the Dungeon of Doom winning at Bash of the Beach. But whatever. It's fine. Right. <laughs> Giant cuts a good babyface promo saying that while Hogan has been in Hollywood, he has been wreaking havoc in WCW. Giant claims that he's been a cancer in WCW that nobody can cure. But now that the NWO showed up, WCW is asking him what he can do about Hogan. He says that what he can do is chokeslam Hogan in Sturgis right in the middle of the ring. And the crowd is very, very much behind that idea. <laughs> he is all of a sudden a huge babyface. Mm -hmm. Gene then goes to Jimmy Hart, who warns Hogan that the Giant will be ready at Hog Wild. We go to commercial, and uh, in the preview for Saturday night, I just want to point out, because it's going to play a little bit into our uh, something we'll talk about next week, Sting and Luger are going to be teaming up on Saturday night, so just oh. put that in the back of your mind. Okay. Also of note is the return of the booty man and the booty babe, because of course Hogan is back in the fold, and oh. so within a mere matter of weeks, Ed Leslie is getting booked on the show oh, again. I didn't, I didn't put two and two together like <laughs> Isn't that. Isn't that funny? <laughs> The Saturday night promo ends, and very abruptly, we cut to a wide shot of the ring, and DDP and Prince Iakea are both already in it, and the bell rings. Mm -hmm. Since we last saw Iakea get squashed by Kevin Sullivan on Nitro back on June 3rd, he's had a couple of Saturday night and worldwide appearances. Here to see if he can pull off an upset against Diamond Dallas Page is the holder of our own non-prestigious non-title of Lord of the Podcast, Dave Amantorp. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, I'm going to grab some water, but I want to say before I do that... I love Iakea's gear in this match. He's got these, like, white, the sort of pants that end just past the knee that, like, a lot of Samoan guys wear. Mm -hmm. And it, it just looks really, really cool. And I've always loved barefoot wrestlers. I'm yeah. always super into that. <laughs> super into it. So into it. <laughs> well, the bell rings and a DDP attempt for a collar double tie-up is dodged by Iakea. There's some posturing before we actually get a collar double tie-up which the prince uses to toss DDP to the nearby corner. DDP looks more perturbed than anything else, but when he turns around, he's quickly drop-kicked back into the corner, which to me raised the question, how effective is a drop-kick done by someone that's barefoot? You know, it depends on, you know, sometimes the drop-kick, like the guys keep their legs straight, but sometimes they really kick from the knee while they're doing it. Uh-huh. If you're barefoot, you really need that, like, extra kick bit, I think. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. An Irish whip attempt by Iakea is countered by a back elbow. After a tilt-a-whirl slam, DDP throws Iakea through the ropes to the outside, which I decided to mention now because if you throw them over the top rope, they're deciding they're going to call that. Uh, back into the ring, Prince Iakea hits a couple of cross-body blocks, neither of which gains him the pinfall victory. And then at this point, DDP whips Iakea into the turnbuckle, comes off the ropes himself, and hits a really nice-looking diamond cutter for the quick pinfall victory. So this is a pretty pretty short and sweet match. Iakea gets a little bit of offense, gets to jump off the ropes a little bit, but, but it's pretty much a squash. But it's a different... We got a different variety of the diamond cutter, which yeah. is going to be something in the future will be kind of a thing. 
that he kind of hits it out of nowhere. Like, I mean, that's how they really got like the Randy Orton deal. Um, right. But I like this one with him coming off the ropes and like, having the momentum to hit like just a powerful uh, diamond cutter. But yeah, I mean, really wasn't a whole lot to this match, but it was just uh, more than anything, just a reminder that Diamond Dallas Page is here. Yeah. No, that's absolutely, you know, it was an enhancement match for him. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is what they came up with to take up the extra time that Norton uh, was supposed to get back in the <laughs> opener. Sure. I don't know, but Ikea did look good with the springboard cross bodies that he went for, I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the only offense he really had, but they look good. Yeah. Oh, and the drop kick that I mentioned. All oh, right. <laughs> now, either the announcers stay silent after the match or the fake DDP theme that's been dubbed in by the network has been put over their audio. Yeah. As the camera just pans around for a while with no one talking until we go to commercial. <laughs> as we go to commercial, we get a bumper promo from Chavo Guerrero Jr., he gives the most totally generic babyface promo about how Dean Malenko has fought a lot of wars, but he's never fought Chavo, so he better be ready, because he is going to fight Chavo. Oh! <laughs> Next. <laughs> we come back from commercial, and Tony sends us straight to a video package highlighting the Sullivan-Benoit feud. It features extensive footage of them fighting in the men's room from Great American Bash, but no explanation at all as to what started their feud or why they don't like each other. Right. It's like, let's go to this video package on their feud, and all it is is moments from it, but nothing that gives you any context. So I right. found yeah. that kind of frustrating. Uh, video packages are up like 300% in this episode. Mm-hmm. They have all of a sudden realized, like, hey, we can eat some time out of the show if we just produce this kind of stuff. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Afterward, Larry says that these are two guys who simply do not care and that they may well fight to the death of one of them. Then out comes Chavo, who's wearing red and white trunks that kind of echo the red and white uh, jacket and tights that Eddie wears. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of neat. Tony refers to Chavo's bumper promo by saying, we heard a little little verbiage from him before the break. Tony hypes hour two as we're almost there. And also Chavo comes out to Eddie's music. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Is that why Eddie Eddie later comes out to different music? I wonder if they gave him Eddie's music. That seems like something that WCW probably overthought. That could be. <laughs> no, but because I, I mean. Oh, no, it's not Eddie that has. Never mind. It's I, Ice Train who comes out later to different music. Oh, yeah. Because I, I noted that Chavo comes out to Eddie's music, yeah. but not Eddie's crowd reaction. <laughs> Tony promises us that in hour two, we'll get Eddie Guerrero, Psychosis, and the Horsemen versus Sting, Lex, and Randy. Out next comes the Iceman himself, Dean Malenko. Now, neither Larry nor Tony know where the Outsiders are, but Larry speculates that by now they're in jail. <laughs> we get a replay from the end of Dean's attack on Benoit last week, which cost Benoit his match against Eddie. Now, I never heard a bell, but as the replay ends, Chavo and Dean are like in mid-move. <laughs> so we're, we're in the match already. Chavo is diving through a prone Malenko, that thing where like in, in kind of a lucha thing where one guy's on his back, the other guy dives through his legs that are yeah. in kind of a V, mm-hmm. and Chavo gets huge height on his dive. It looks fucking awesome. <laughs> Malenko quickly kips up, dodges Chavo on the rebound, and goes for a tilt-a-whirl something, but Chavo turns it into a head scissors. Malenko recovers and reverses a whip into the ropes and hits a knee to the gut of Chavo. I love this thing Malenko does where he whips somebody in the ropes and then he follows them and hits them as they rebound. Yeah. It always looks great. It looks vicious. Tony mentions that on Saturday night, Malenko was asked if he joined the Dungeon of Dragons. The Dungeons of Dragons? 
the Dungeon of Doom, <laughs> or if he's been paid off by them. And here in my notes, I have, in all caps, what did happen as a reminder of myself to look at Saturday night and find out, and I didn't do that. <laughs> so instead, I'll just insert some audio here. Hey, it's uh, me, Tim Rutt, here in the future, and uh, I went ahead and researched that Saturday night, and uh, first I'm going to play you the audio clip uh, where you can hear Dean Malenko get asked uh, sort of what's going on between him and Jimmy Hart in the Dungeon of Doom. And i got to tell you, there's nothing like Saturday nights here on TBS. Dean Malenko, come on in. Dean Malenko on Saturday, August the 10th, out in Sturgis, South Dakota at Hog Wild. You are assigned to meet... Another great technician, very much like yourself, Chris Benoit. But before I get to that match, I want to talk about the presence of Jimmy Hart. Did I see him this past Monday lurking in the shadows? Let me just say this, Gene. Jimmy Hart can help me get what I want. And the people know what that is. And in return, I can help Jimmy Hart get what he wants. All right, uh, back to the subject of Chris Benoit. You take a look at this man. Hey, Jimmy Hart, don't sneak up on me like that. Malenko, just listen to me. The Taskmaster, we want you in the Dungeon of Doom. Whatever the price, whatever the cost, because you see, we're after the same thing you're after, and that's to destroy the Four Horsemen. Think it over. We want you. You know, Dean Malenko, Jimmy Hart, and the Dungeon of Doom, if you think about it, they're paying basketball players $125 million for seven years. I'm not so sure I wouldn't want a piece of the rock. Let me represent you. Well, Gene... I'm not looking to be a part of any organization. I'm looking for one thing, and that's to get that Cruiserweight title back on my waist. And if it means dealing with Jimmy Hart and having him help me accomplish my goals, that's something I have to contemplate about. I would rethink Jimmy Hart, but that's your decision. I thank you very much, Dean Malenko. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more Saturday Night. So as you heard, on the July 20th Saturday night, Malenko defeated Mark Starr via Texas Cloverleaf. He was then interviewed by me and Gene Okerlund, uh, and Malenko is sort of generally cagey about what Jimmy Hart had told him last week on Nitro. He only says that Jimmy Hart can help him get what he wants, and in turn, he can help Jimmy Hart. Then Jimmy Hart showed up and invited Malenko into the Dungeon of Doom, telling Dean that he could name his own price. He says this is because the Dungeon of Doom is after the same thing as Malenko, the destruction of the Four Horsemen. Now, I have no idea when the destruction of the Four Horsemen uh, became a goal of Dean Malenko's. That really doesn't make any sense. Uh, the only goal we know of Malenko's is that he wants to regain the Cruiserweight title. Hart leaves without an answer, but Malenko tells me and Gene that he's not looking to be a part of any organization. He just wants the Cruiserweight Championship back, and if Jimmy Hart is offering to help him do that, then he's going to have to consider it. Uh, so with that said, now back to our regularly scheduled program. Dean hits a gut buster on Chavo and covers him, but Chavo gets a foot on the ropes. Chavo gets back into things with a nicely elevated dropkick that sends Dean to the outside. Guerrero is content to let him regroup, and when Malenko comes back into the ring, they lock up, and Dean takes over the match as we begin the countdown to Hour 2. Malenko hits a nice backdrop driver and an impressive fallaway slam. An Irish whip sends Chavo to the corner, and Dean sets him up for the superplex, but Chavo blocks it, and Pyro goes off for Hour 2 as a distorted Bischoff screams welcomes. Yes. Yeah, I noted that the uh, the headsets are, like, impressively fucked up for these two. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. The show just cuts from the match to a wide shot for the pyro, because they'd rather show you pyro than what the fuck's going on in the ring. So you can just barely see Chavo push Dean down from the top rope and then hit a diving sunset flip, 
Uh, and then they just cut, and all of a sudden you can see the ref counting. It gets a two count, and Bischoff's audio is finally fixed. Malenko is back in control with a knee drop for two. Eric asks Bobby Heenan something, but Bobby's mic isn't on, and you can just barely hear him talking in the background until Eric realizes the problem and interrupts. Then there's a loud crash of some kind, and now Eric sounds like he's inside of a tin can. And then all of a sudden, Bobby is there, but he's too loud, which you can tell catches him off guard when he hears it in his own monitors. Yeah. He's just like, he starts talking, and then three words in, he just stops for a second, like, why am I so loud? And then he uh, he brings it down to normal volume, and Eric seems to almost connect it to the outsiders in the control room, mm-hmm. which would have been a smart cover for just some technical fuck-ups. But he doesn't quite like draw the line all the way there. Yeah. So it's just it's that thing where they're like afraid to acknowledge technical glitches. I don't know what like they do that in, in live TV a lot. Like all you need to do is be like, haha, live television, folks. And like, right. that's it. That's all you need to do. Mm-hmm. But they had like a golden opportunity to say like, well, here's the effects of Nash and Hall fucking around with our stuff. You right. know? Yeah. But instead, they didn't even do that. It was mm-hmm. just it was really kind of a missed opportunity. Bobby talks about how outright scared he is to be working at WCW right now, given the havoc the Outsiders are allowed to wreak. Dean works a rest hold as some moron chants boring. <laughs> yeah, I This match that. has actually been good. Like, <laughs> fuck you, dude. <laughs> Dean hits a body slam and does his second rope leg drop for a two. Dean slaps on a chin lock as Eric talks a bit about Chavo's background and the famous Guerrero wrestling family. Chavo Guerrero is the 27-year-old Salvador Guerrero IV. He is the nephew of number one contender to the United States title, Eddie Guerrero, though he is only three years Eddie's junior. Back when Eddie debuted, I wasn't really doing, like, bios as much as I am now. Yeah. So we never talked much about the famous Guerrero family. Patriarch Gory Guerrero was born in Arizona but moved to Mexico at the age of 10. He learned Lucha Libre and won championships in both Mexico and America. He also had three sons who would go on to be wrestlers, Chavo Guerrero Sr., Mondo Guerrero, and Hector Guerrero, a.k.a. the gobbledygooker. Then, a full 13 years after Hector's birth, Eddie Guerrero was born. That puts a full 18 years between Eddie and Chavo Sr. Chavo, like Eddie, was born in El Paso, Texas. He was trained by his dad, uncles, and grandfather, basically growing up in a wrestling ring where he would practice with Eddie constantly. He made his professional debut in Mexico in 1994 and worked with New Japan earlier in 96, including participating in the Best of the Super Juniors tournament. He's been on Worldwide once, Saturday night once, and he's making his Nitro debut here. Malenko's now methodical approach once again gets that one fan to try his boring chant. And that that's how you can notice there's not a lot of people because yeah. it's one guy, but yeah. you can catch all of it. That's true. Bischoff repeats his weirdly lascivious lines about how we're going to see every th- all this backstage stuff at uh, Sturgis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Things we've only read about before. For who <laughs> amongst us can't remember reading an erotic short story, a body magazine article, or one of the mer- many purient novels written about the Sturgis biker rally? <laughs> Bobby complains about having 250,000 bikes blowing smog in his face as Malenko works in STF. Dean transitions to a double-armed chicken wing as Chavo gets to his feet. With his arms locked behind him in the chicken wing, Chavo leaps up and kicks backwards at Dean, sending him the man of a thousand holds to the mat. It looks great. Very, like, athletic and awesome. I'm. This has kind of been a revelation for me a little bit because I 
The only Chavo I know is like I started. Uh, you got me back into WWE in like 2009, mm-hmm. and Chavo is feuding with Hornswoggle, and just right. generally being like boring and lame on my TV. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So like seeing Chavo here, I was like amazed. I thought he was great. Yeah. Um. The years of Chavo Guerrero in WCW are, I, I yeah. I think they're very under underrated as far as. Uh, um, his quality not only in the ring but on promos mm-hmm. because I mean naturally he's being overshadowed by Eddie Guerrero. Right now, after that drop kick or whatever you want to call it, Dean still must be the fresher of the two because he gets to his feet first despite absorbing the move while Chavo still sells. Dean boots Chavo in the chest and hits some elbows as Bobby praises the conditioning of Dean for being up first and still in control, which I think is a nice bit of Bobby of kind of like covering what I think is a little minor storytelling problem in the match. Mm-hmm. Dean works over Chavo in one corner and then another before hitting a vertical suplex and a powerbomb. Suddenly, Jimmy Hart is out there cheering for Malenko through his megaphone. Bischoff is too busy whinging about the NWO's appearance from last week to mention Hart at all, even when Dean gets distracted by the cheerleading and turns his back on Chavo to tell Jimmy to shut the fuck up. (laughs) Chavo does a nice roll-up for two and then follows that up with a neat float over into an inside cradle for another two. Chavo heads to the top and comes down with a flying nothing, that Malenko catches and turns into the Texas Cloverleaf for the submission victory. Now, because he was coming off the ropes with kind of his legs on either side of Dean, because he knows he's going in the Cloverleaf. Yeah. Um, Bobby on the replays tries to claim that he was going for a flying body scissors, but like, I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, nice try by yeah. Bobby to be like why he did that. But. Yeah. No, but uh, both the, both the commentators, uh, clearly missed the cue of Jimmy Hart coming out. Yeah. And even after the match, they, they never referred. To, there's no reference to Jimmy Hart the whole time. And it's still, so it's pretty unclear uh, as to what the relationship is between the Dungeon of Doom and Dean Malenko. Because mm-hmm. um, Jimmy Hart came out on his behalf, but Malenko did not want it. He did yeah. not want that support. So I guess we'll have to keep seeing what goes on there as uh, Malenko prepares for his hog wild match against Chris Benoit. By the way, the idea of Dean Malenko in the Dungeon of Doom yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I want it to happen so badly. Now, this match was a little under 10 minutes long, but I thought it was pretty good with a nice pace and some good moments for Chavo to show what uh, he can do. Unlike last week when Malenko got that victory over Kidman, yeah. where Kidman didn't really do much other than miss a shooting star press, mm-hmm. which is still like impressive, a guy going for that. But um, this was good. It was a good debut for Chavo. I think this, you know, despite losing... I think he's he's set up well here to have some future appearances. Yeah, uh, but right now, up to this point for this show, we've had a lot of very distracted announcing. Yes, in which there's not a lot of focus on the ring, and and it, it to me it tends to kind of like draw my attention away where I'm like not as fo- as focused watching if the announcers aren't focused. Well, and they'll you know you hear like just sort of as a. People often talk about the announcers in WCW going on and on about the NWO rather than whatever is in front of them. Yeah. This would be like Exhibit A if you wanted to. Well, I think there's many Exhibit A's, but this this would be a good example because they talk about that control room thing over and over and over again throughout the rest of the show. Right. Jimmy Hart celebrates on the outside as this fucking kid who's the most 90s kid you've ever seen. He's got like a blonde bowl cut. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and some shorts and a Marvin the Martian t-shirt. Nice. It's like Looney Tunes t-shirts were really popular, especially Marvin the Martian. I don't know. It was like if you're a big fat party animal, you like Taz. Mm-hmm. And if you're kind of like a nerd who wants to like shoot everyone in your school, you like Marvin the Martian. 
Well, uh, probably because of Space Jam. Oh, was he a deal in Space? I haven't seen Space Jam. I, I don't even remember. Okay, sure. <laughs> it just like, uh, it seemed like it might have been a big movie around that time. And maybe that kind of got more popularity for Looney Tunes characters. So this, anyway, this fucking kid who's just been like thinking the show is about him all night. Yeah. He's just been making a big deal in the front row. Well, right now he starts literally getting out of his chair and like taking a step or two towards Jimmy and just talking shit. As his fucking mom just sits there laughing, like, instead of, <laughs> I mean, like, I get, you know, boo the heels and get in the shit, but, like, your son's, like, looking like he's going to go get in a fight with Jimmy Hart right now. Maybe right. calm him down a bit. <laughs> Replays run, and it's time for a commercial. In the bumper promo, Jimmy Hart says that last week, Arn Anderson felt the wrath of Meng, and this week, Meng will leave Ice Train cold as ice. Ooh. Meng, uh, just like last week, yells in Tongan for a little bit. Mm-hmm. After a commercial, we check in with Eric and Bobby at their announcing perch. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but they when they announce, they're on like a... So uh, Tony and Larry are next to the ring at a table, like what we're used to with like JR kind of... Yeah. Um, well, except for they're like directly adjacent to the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric and Bobby are on like a stage like 30 feet up on a scaffold yeah. for some reason. <laughs> they talk more about Hall and Nash and how bad they are. Bischoff then hypes Hogwild some more, this time focusing on Hogan and the Giant and their upcoming title match. It also sounds like the Outsiders are going to be facing Sting and Luger, which, if true, this is the first that we've heard about it on Nitro. Yeah. Yeah, I... And it'll come up a little bit later, but I find it kind of like a weird thing that the Outsiders are kind of like a cast-off match now. Yeah, that's true. You know... They've really been taking a backseat... Even though they're the ones on every week, mm-hmm. like Hogan is very much the driver of that car right now. Yeah, then yeah, I when I saw this when I was watching back in the day, I didn't really remember that there was like a tear going on already. But no, it's clearly it's Hogan's story, and that they're two like they're the the tagalongs. They're like the lackeys, pretty much. Dave Penzer introduces Ice Train, and I don't like. I think I've talked about this before. I don't like how he's not really mic'd up. Dave Penzer. Yeah. Like, you can almost never hear what the fuck... I, like, they just don't think it's important mm-hmm. to hear the ring announcer whatsoever. And it's so... It's really bizarre because, like, you know, all the years you've been watching WWE, it's like, that is a significant thing you hear every right. single time. You don't hear... So you're like, you don't know who's coming out until they come out. Right. Especially because, like, the WCW announcers are not going to tell you. Like, <laughs> right. Bischoff and... Sh- like, they are not interested in who's coming out. <laughs> right. <laughs> I also do not like, and here's where I have it noted, that Ice Train does not come out to his old amazing music. He comes out to like this new just kind of generic rock bullshit that I didn't care for. Meng's out next, and one thing that's kind of funny about the Disney MGM setup is that there's a palm tree in the middle of the entrance aisle that the guys have to maneuver around. Yeah. It's just kind of funny because like Meng comes out and he's doing his like kick the air and whatever, and then all of a sudden he's got to like shimmy <laughs> to get like make sure him and Jimmy Hart can get around this tree at the same time. <laughs> there's just a fucking tree in the way. You never anticipate that as a wrestler coming down the aisle. There's literally a tree in the middle <laughs> of the way. Now, I can't believe after his 10-minute snooze fest with Arn Anderson last week that Meng is getting another singles match. <laughs> right. I, it's a little disturbing, and, and against a guy who's a lot more green than Arn Anderson is. Yeah. <laughs> Eric says that he learned a fascinating thing today. Well, what's that? He says that Samoans, mm-hmm. and presumably he's lumping Meng in with them, even though Meng is Tongan. Right. Uh, 
were apparently Samoans were as recently as a hundred years ago cannibals. Huh. Bobby says that he wouldn't have been surprised if Eric had said as recently as Thursday. <laughs> now, this is some uncomfortable racial territory, obviously. Right. Uh, but I kind of looked into it, and it turns out that Eric isn't all that wrong. Uh, cannibalism was practiced in some areas of Polynesia. Uh, it was a bit more than 100 years ago, as the last known act of cannibalism was the killing and eating of British mercenary Thomas Baker and seven of his Christian Polynesian followers in Fiji, in 1867. <laughs> uh, so a little cannibalism history for you there. <laughs> That's my favorite kind of history. But he talks about it like a few more times during the match. He's yeah. very interested in this idea that Meng's ancestors were cannibals. He just thinks like, he he thinks it's cool, basically. Like, he mm-hmm. won't say it in those terms, but he thinks it's cool. <laughs> but again, it's he's talking about Samoans. And Meng's not Samoan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they come from a similar group of, like, uh, ethnic group. But, yeah, yeah. He, he is definitely just calling them Samoans when Meng is not Samoan. Right. Well, here to call all the action of Meng versus Ice Train is uh, the conductor of the Ice Train, our <laughs> own Dave Amendorp. All right. Well, this match starts with uh, Meng wailing away on Ice Train with kicks and punches. A headlock by Meng is escaped as Ice Train whips him down the ropes, only to be shoulder blocked to the mat. Some back and forth out the ropes until an Ice Train hits a cross body block for a two count. After we get a shot of, yet again, Teddy Long out at, at ringside, nodding with approval, we cut back to the ring as Meng tosses Ice Train to the outside. The two men exchange chops on the outside before returning to the ring where Ice Train maintains the advantage. A sudden set foot by Ice Train gets a two count as Eric Bischoff once again regales the television audience about how his motorcycle ride from the Mall of America to Sturgis will be before Hog Wild. And I'm very excited about that as he is too. Anyway, a clothesline by Ming gets him a two count only. And a big body slam and leg drop by Ming gets a two as well. Ming tries to pick up Ice Train, only he gets small package for two. And Ice Train does pull out the small package, so I'll give him credit for that. <laughs> the two big men exchange blows in the middle ring before Ice Train makes the mistake of headbutting Ming because foreign always equals thick skulls in professional oh, wrestling. Yeah. More back and forth that seems to be the result of poor chemistry more than anything until an Ice Train body slam goes awry as Ming falls on top of him for two. Ming chops Ice Train down to size before applying a nerve hold. Ice Train manages to rally back, whipping Ming into the ropes and hitting him with a flying clothesline that, uh, as we reach gut check time for both men. A double axe handle smash from Ice Train gets a two only and more headbutts from Ming before he gets on a chin lock. So we're kind of seeing the same four or five different moves mm-hmm. that over and over again. The two men exchange chops in the corner before Ice Train whips Ming corner to corner and a body slam from Ice Train gets a two count. By this point, I need to mention that because the, these are two bigger men, they are exhausted at this yes. point. They are sweating like crazy, and they're just like, just trying to to play this string out. So Ice Train heads to the middle ropes, but his double axe head on attempt is countered by what should be considered the mafia kick by Ming, but no, there's no real reference to it at all. Yep. Uh, we spill to the outside where Scott Norton arrives and attacks Ming. Causing the DQ. Interesting. 
Yeah, now the bell rings as Norton stalks around the ring until he finds the camera. He tells it that he has Train's back, and Ice Train has nothing to worry about, until Hog Wild, that is. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want Ice Train to have any excuses for when his worst nightmare comes true at the pay-per-view. <laughs> now, Bischoff, I want to point out, once again brings up the specific bar that Norton was a bouncer at in Minneapolis. And even as a, like... Minnesotan who just loves hearing Minnesota get mentioned in Minneapolis like mm-hmm. shut the fuck up Eric nobody cares You're right. nobody cares <laughs> yeah great you used to know him in Minneapolis a long time ago and I believe you said either in your book or elsewhere that you didn't like him and you like he's he's not a fan of Scott Norton but he always likes bringing up this shared history they have <laughs> uh, I did think that match was significantly better than Meng versus Arn from last week what do you think uh I would, I would agree. I just I don't remember the Ming versus Arn Anderson yeah. match very well, which maybe that kind of says a lot for that match, right? But uh, no, I mean I felt like these two were. I mean I thought there was like a great effort going into this, but like I said, towards the end I think both were getting pretty exhausted. I agree, but you could tell that there was the effort was there. It was uh, a fine television match, I think. Yeah, and 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 better than some of the matches we've had like earlier on in the show too. So. Next, we get a recap of Hogan being the third guy in the form of video package. Mm-hmm. Could be a lot more than four or five, too. Hulk Hogan marched down the aisle at Bash of the Beach as if he were ready to step in to help fend off the outsiders. Then, the most shocking turn of events in wrestling history. The man that was admired by millions around the world crushed the hopes and dreams of everyone. What is he oh doing? God. Devastating the already weary Randy Savage, the WCW fans, and all the kids that idolized him. This act would show the true Hulk Hogan. You fans can stick it, brother! As the best in WCW watch on, you know in their minds are the thoughts of revenge for these cowardice moves. Hollywood Hogan and his band of outsiders had completed the first major phase of the hostile takeover. The new world order is taking over professional wrestling with the outsiders, the new blood, the foundation of the new world order. We shall rule the wrestling world. The interruptions have continued on WCW's Monday Nitro. They have stopped the fight inside of the ring. Listen control sting wants it retaliation by sting and savage tells the sentiments of all the wrestlers in wcw you wiped out and trashed every single little kid you told him to stick it no you stick it hulk i get a message for hollywood hogan it's really really scary what i'm thinking you. Yeah. Then they defaced the very name of WCW with graffiti as their next act of sabotage. From the long black limo, they calculate the plans and maneuver into place. With precision, they strike Lex Luger in the next feat of violence. Oh! All of them plotted by the mastermind in black. The scourge of the wrestling world! There's no yellow! There's no red! He's wearing black! Striking when the big names are not around. No Savage, no Flair, no Giant, and no Sting. Who's next to join the new World Order? 
I'm not gonna mess with that skinny little macho man or that crybaby sting. I'm going right to the top of the ladder, brother. If the giant has got guts enough, we're gonna take the WCW belt, make it the new world order belt, and we shall reign supreme. I'm the greatest wrestler in the world. I made professional wrestling. I will always be bigger than wrestling. The new world order shall rule the wrestling world. Where Hulk Hogan goes, that's where professional wrestling goes. Uh, this one's not bad. Like, it tells the story, uh, but it does have some very cheesy voiceover. Yeah. And it's largely focused on something that the announcers have talked quite a bit about. Who is the next to join the NWO? Yeah. We then go to commercial with a bumper promo from Eddie, who tells Psychosis that uh, Eddie's father and brothers taught him not to underestimate his opponents, and he's not going to do that tonight. Uh, our world is about to change again as we get more Glacier doing karate shit in yeah. front of random buildings. Oh, man. We also get a little promo for Hog Wild in there. I do like that this uh, pay-per-view, you know, after we had, what, two weeks, I want to say, between Great American Bash and Bash of the Beach? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I like that we're getting like a full five week build to a pay-per-view this time. Yeah. And and not only that, but like we have a very clear main event already. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We know what we're headed towards for sure. Psychosis comes out to his amazing music, Mm -hmm. Uh, though. He's winless. Dave Meltzer reports in The Observer this week that Psychosis is very well liked by WCW management. And I can tell why he's had he's just been great. He. Throws his body around with reckless abandon, especially for, like, a guy who doesn't win. Like, no jobber puts mm-hmm. his body on the line more than psychosis. I, I, like him be, I, I like him because it's like, yeah, he lives up to his name, psychosis. Absolutely. <laughs> because he just does, he does, he does some crazy shit considering he's essentially a filler guy that never gets a win. <laughs> but, he, yeah, his, there's definitely, like, a 110% effort from this guy. Eddie Guerrero comes out next, accompanied by some pyro. He's excited to be a Disney MGM, and he warns us against changing the channel. <laughs> we get some Eddie chants as the bell rings, much like last week, as the WCW faithful are very happy to see the number one contender to Ric Flair's U.S. title. As the match begins, Psychosis gets some heat by reacting to the Eddie chants before the two men circle each other. They lock up and jostle for position with Eddie getting the better of Psychosis with an arm drag, and Psychosis complains about a non-existent hair pull and yells at the crowd. Uh, One thing from Psychosis in this match, he is much more an obvious heel than he's been before. Mm -hmm. He's complaining about hair pulls that didn't happen. He's jawing at the crowd. Yeah. Um, Before, he's always just been not the bigger baby face. He's not Rey Mysterio. He's not Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. Um, But this time, he's a full-fledged heel, and he is really playing the part. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a small thing that you might not notice since he's not like a big factor is that that he recognizes how fans react to him and is now like acting accordingly. Yes, absolutely. Uh, they lock up again, and this time Psychosis takes Eddie down, and they do some mat-based stuff before getting to their feet, where Eddie immediately gets a snapmare and snaps on a headlock. Psychosis reverses it and starts working on Eddie's knee as we go to a commercial that surely could have come during Men versus Ice Train. <laughs> Seriously. When we come back, they are in the corner and Psychosis is hitting chops. Psychosis flings Eddie with an Irish whip and runs at him full bore for a big drop kick in the corner, only Eddie moves and Psychosis drop kicks nothing and takes a nasty fall onto his back and head. (laughs) 
Back on their feet, Eddie gets psychosis with an arm drag, but then misses a springboard crossbody and eats a psychosis dropkick. Guerrero hits a sort of monkey flip and then clotheslines psychosis to the outside. Guerrero climbs the top turnbuckle and nails his huge dive to the floor that he loves hitting every once in a while, uh, nailing psychosis to a big pop from the crowd. Eddie hits a side suplex for two as Bischoff lists some of the exciting young talent in WCW, and I only point it out because he ends the list by saying, et al., and Bischoff loves saying at all. <laughs> I, I know I pointed out one other time, um, and last week I, I didn't point it out, but when he did it last week, he was like, Hogan, Nash Hall, at all, in legalese. <laughs> Which is funny because in legalese sounds like he's disparaging it, but he says it like on a weekly basis. So <laughs> he definitely doesn't think it's a stupid thing to say. <laughs> at all. Eddie goes for another side suplex, but Psychosis flips off him and hits an enziguri, and then a huge leg drop to the back of Eddie's neck. Body slam now by Psychosis, who heads to the top rope. As Guerrero stands up, Psychosis flies at him with a huge spinning flying kick that's fucking cool as hell. (laughs) Eddie heads to the outside to recover, and Psychosis seizes the moment with a tope suicida. Eddie is now at the feet of the Marvin the Martian kid and his stupid fucking family, and you can see that some other dickwad in the front row is just barefoot. (laughs) Gross, dude. Like, that's just gross. (laughs) Psychosis throws Eddie back in the ring and then heads to the top rope. He comes down on Guerrero with a guillotine leg drop. After recovering, Eddie tries a torso roll-up for a two. Eddie gets a head-scissors tilt-a-whirl backbreaker combo for two. Psychosis then gets a spinning hurricanrana off Eddie's shoulders for two, which looked ugly as shit. Yeah. He jumped up on Eddie's back on his shoulders, and the transition where he like spins around looked great, mm-hmm. but the actual rotation of the hurricanrana looked just terrible. Yeah, and that's probably because like Psychosis is really tall. That's true. And Eddie Guerrero is not tall. <laughs> and he's got those like horns on his mask making him like, and his hair. It just mm-hmm. Yeah, they just don't rotate through it very well. Psychosis hits a powerbomb and goes once again to the top rope, this time for a corkscrew senton. And to just be completely honest, the crowd does not react to this at all. Yeah. It's maybe the biggest match they've seen all night. Or excuse me, biggest move they've seen all night. Mm -hmm. And I think this move, move, move thing Psychosis does is kind of burning him out. um, And maybe gets a little bit to the differences between like Lucha audiences and American audiences. Mm -hmm. Um, But perhaps realizing that it's not getting a crowd reaction... Psychosis then immediately plays the crowd for heat before covering, uh, but that delayed and casual cover only gets a two. Psychosis tries to set Eddie up on the top, but Eddie manages to get Psychosis up there instead, and Guerrero hits a pretty decent top rope Frankensteiner. That puts Psychosis into position for a frog splash, which gets the 1-2-3 victory for Eddie Guerrero, helping him get ready for his big match against Flair at the pay-per-view. I feel like it's been a while since Eddie Guerrero's done the fro- frog splash. Unless, did he beat Psychosis that way? No, yeah, he did. Never mind. He did. I I feel like it's been a little bit longer since he did the top rope dive to the outside. Yeah. Though. That's that's he, something we haven't seen in a while. Uh, I thought this was a good match. You know, it wasn't um, the best Eddie match or the best Psychosis match, but mm-hmm. it was a good match, and it certainly was a nice change of pace from kind of what we've been, uh, you know, like Meng Ice Train. Like, those those guys have a very different match than psychosis eddie you're gonna have yeah and it seems like the it seemed like the announcers were kind of back on track uh calling the match a little bit more and which it just helps the whole overall product 
As we see replays, Bobby does a great job of talking about how great Flair is and how tough that's going to be for Eddie, but he also takes nothing away from Eddie or his chances. Mm -hmm. And Bobby, when he wants to be, is so good at building baby faces. And uh, we've noted a few times, he seems particularly fond of Eddie Guerrero. Mm -hmm. um, he, he brings him up a lot and seems just very high on the guy. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a really interesting match, I think. Eddie Guerrero and Ric Flair. Absolutely. When yeah, like I said uh, in our last episode, when we saw it on Nitro, it was a great match. So given more time in a pay per view setting for a for a belt, I, I really am expecting a lot. Yeah, I would I would say at this point, um, since we started with Nitro, that I think Hogwall is gonna have the best quality matches for a pay per view because we have that, and we're going to have um, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. Yep. Um, Outsiders versus Sting and uh, Luger could could very well be. I could see it going either way, mm-hmm. but it could be a very good match. Yeah, and I mean, I I I know the match that we're gonna get for the Cruiserweight title is also a good one too. And uh, let's see what else we got. <laughs> I, I'm assuming there's gonna be a oh Norton versus Ice Train could be good. Mm-hmm. But uh, the one I was chuckling a bit about was I'm assuming we're getting Bubba um, Tenta again because. A couple <laughs> sure. weeks ago, they were at each other's throats sure. a little bit again. Um, oh, and um, Medusa versus Bull Nakano. Oh, that could be very could good. Could be good. Yeah, this could be a great pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would like I was trying to say that like I feel like the overall match quality is probably the highest for this pay-per-view, just on paper. Uh, we go to commercial with our main event to come next. When we come back, Flair's music plays and out comes the Horseman. Or some of them, at least. Hmm. It's Mongo and Benoit, accompanied by Liz in red leather, Deborah McMichael in a pink dress, and woman who looks fucking awesome yes. in a white and silver striped pantsuit along with big sunglasses. It's so... She looks elegant and badass and cool. Mm-hmm. She just looks cool. There's, like, no other word for it. Yeah, it looks like that she walked off of, a, like, a Madonna music video or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, She. I mean, she looks like fucking stylish but like like um it's like a power suit as yeah. well sort of stylish thing. and profilish yes there you go. <laughs> bischoff and bobby noticed that flair is not with the horseman he was apparently announced by penzer but he isn't there and neither is arn we go to commercial when we come back arn anderson is trying to peer into the windows of a limousine that i guess just showed up mm-hmm Eric is asking if it's someone from, quote, New York or someone from WCW in there. The tinted windows make it impossible to know, but presumably we're meant to be wondering if Flair has joined the NWO. And that's exactly where Bischoff goes with it. Now, it doesn't make any sense other than, I guess, Sting told us earlier that Hogan is the only one who rides in a limo. So I guess, and the the outsiders have been showing up in limos lately. So if a limo is there... I guess it makes sense to think that the NWO is inside. Why we have to think Flair's in there? Like, there's just a. Yeah. I mean, I guess he's not where he's supposed to be. I, I just there's a lot of leaps that like there's mm-hmm. no reason for me to really, as an audience member, buy in to this speculation. Yeah. Um. It just seems like a bunch of really big stretches. And and the whole time while he's trying to peer through the windows, I'm thinking. Why doesn't he just open a door? <laughs> if he really is curious, just open the door and look inside. But he never does. And it's just, I don't know, it, it is. It's kind of just a weird thing where it's like, well, I mean, he's interested in who's in there, but not interested enough. Yeah, it yeah. was it was weird. And eventually he just gives up and ambles to the ring to confer with the horsemen and the ladies right as a man called Sting starts playing. 
Now, here to call the main event is a man called Dave. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's our own Dave Amendorf. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, so Arn Anderson heads to the ring in place of Ric Flair because the match was announced as Ric Flair, Steve Mon- Mongo McMichael, and Chris Benoit. Right. And, and just since it's a horseman, I don't see a referee getting concerned about the replacement. Yeah. There's no official, like, transaction or anything like that. He's just in the match now. Yeah. Sometimes you have to, like, sign a bunch of papers to have a match in, like, four weeks. And sometimes right. you just come out and you're like, I'm going to wrestle instead of Ric Flair. And the ref's <laughs> like, oh, what can I do? <laughs> I'm just a referee. I just. I... Uh, so the match begins with Arn Anderson and Sting, who get into a shoving match before Sting hits Arn Anderson with a back body drop off the ropes. A clothesline to Anderson brings in Benoit, who gets clotheslined as well. Sting even takes a shot at Mongo. Mongo, who is notorious for never coming in to help out the horseman during a match. Uh, this, however, gets Mongo's attention, who stops Stinger's momentum with a shoulder tackle off the middle rope. So not only did the referee allow Arn Anderson to be in the match, he's just not caring if anyone runs into the ring. Arn then tosses Sting to the outside as we have Bedlam. After things settle down, Arnon is choking Sting on the mat before tagging in the Crippler. Uh, we get another one of those great moments where Benoit has a guy in the corner where the camera is. Yes. And he unloads with chops and a headbutt. And it just, again, just looks vicious as hell. Uh, this is going to be a tendency for this match, but Benoit is really into taunting people tonight. Yes. He, he is taunting and he's slapping Sting, um, which brings in Luger and Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, so, of course, he faces come in. The referee has to get them back out of the ring. And it gives Benoit the opportunity to tag in Mongo. Uh, Sting tries to set up Mongo for a back body drop. But McMichael counters with the one move he's really good at doing, the hangman's neckbreaker, which he gets only a two count. Yep. Uh, Sting counters Irish whip with a cross body block for two. And when both return to their feet, Mongo hits Sting with a drop kick. A drop kick, which he is not good at. <laughs> and we saw evidence of it. After Mongo tags in Benoit, the cu- camera cuts to an overhead shot of the white limo. For no reason, really. Nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Here's what a limo looks like from above. Right. Like, Why was that cued? Let's go look at the limo because nothing's happening with the limo. It really... The whole limo thing is... The way they just, it's like, it's just bad storytelling. The way the mm-hmm. element is introduced, it's like too late and is done without enough context to give it any kind of tension at all. Right. It's just, there's no reason to care about this. Like, especially since Arn Anderson showed he kind of cared, but not really enough to be worried about it. So, why would I worry about it? Absolutely. Um, back to the ring, Benoit is kicking away at Sting, again taunting him before dropping an elbow. After a running elbow gets him only a two count. Uh, Randy Savage tries to reach in and swipe at Benoit, who continues to taunt everyone in sight. Sting attempts to fight back with punches, but Benoit throws him chest first into the corner before tagging in the enforcer. This rejuvenates Sting, who rallies back with punches. There's kind of a funny trend that goes on here. Sting can't get any offense until Arn Anderson comes in, (laughs) and then Sting suddenly gets offense. Uh, Sting's attempt to tag out, however, is thwarted by Anderson tripping him up before tagging in McMichael. Mongo backs Sting into his team's corners for, for chops and a forearm, 
but the Stinger fights out of this predicament. Uh, then Mago cuts off the rally with a really awkward side suplex that, that Sting loses balance, so he tries to grab the ropes, and it's just a mess. It is, and <laughs> Sting, like, yeah, I don't think Sting is, like, confident that Mongo has it on right or something, because I think he's grabbing the ropes to be like, no, 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 we're not doing this. I really don't want to be dropped on my head. And then would... Mongo drops him right on his head, <laughs> and then I don't know exactly what's said, but Mongo tags right out, and I think it's Sting going like, you're get the done. F- get the <laughs> fuck out of here. You are done. <laughs> <laughs> That would be awesome if Sting's just like, tag the fuck out of here. I wish I could remember, because it's not like you, you can't hear like anything that um, is funny or anything, but you do hear like, no, no, like you hear something where they're like, this is changing now, like yeah, Mago, you're right. coming out. It's very clear that he's getting a little bit of talking to. Uh, so Benoit is back in as uh, Savage has decided to start lurking around the outside. He's like raring to get into the this match and uh just trying to do whatever he can just be like hey i'm still i'm part of this too yeah 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 which which luger's not doing you you tend to forget luger's even there a quick tag in for anderson who again is a sole rival sting can rally against (laughs) the two trade off sleeper holes before sting drops arn with a side suplex finally uh sting tags in luger which must infuriate randy savage (laughs) because that's all he's wanted but Luger is a house of fire hitting every horseman with punches and clotheslines. And it's not shortly after that that we have three-on-three three mayhem. During the madness, Savage grabs a Halliburton briefcase, which, for some reason, Deborah and Woman are fighting over the briefcase. Yes, here's what I think. This And the announcers do not help us out on this count at all. I think that we are meant to wonder if Woman is aligned with the Dungeon of Doom. Because at the pay-per-view, she came out to stop Benoit from beating on Sullivan. Mm-hmm. So I think we are meant to wonder like where her allegiances lie. But I'm doing a lot of heavy lifting for WCW on that yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that as well, but it was like, that is a quite a stretch from from what we are seeing here. It, mo- it looks more like Deborah and Woman are bickering over some... Over, like, to use it or not. Right, right. Or or whatever. During Either way, Savage gets the Halburn briefcase and waffles Benoit in the back with it, which I always like that, like, hitting him in the back knocks him out. <laughs> yes. That yes. is cute. Luger then covers the Crippler, which I like to note is not the legal man for the pinfall victory. Of course. And presumably, I'm just guessing, but does this mean that Randy has his money back? Because the announcers sort of sell it like it is, like, not only is it a heavy case that they used to cheat, but that literally all of Randy Savage's money is in there at all times. <laughs> right. So I don't know if that's like their attempt to kind of wrap up the Randy's money storyline. <laughs> Which it would be ridiculous if all he had to do was just take it. Yes, because he's she, had so many fucking opportunities to take that thing. Well, and that would be illegal because Liz, it's never said that Liz stole his money. They were married and they got divorced and she got half of his earnings. Yeah. Like that's illegal. And that's not really how it just works most of the time. But that's like, you know, sort of the myth out there. And that's the storyline certainly they're using. Right. Is that she just got half of his assets. Yeah. So for him to just take a case full of money and be like, this is mine now because I was the one who, who got paid it. That that's not how like alimony works. Right. It's insane. Yeah. That's all. That's the whole thing. It's like, yeah, they're rubbing in his face, but like 
she is entitled to that money. <laughs> there was it was never a situation where it was like it was not hers. Right, right. But in the land of WCW, you could just steal it and be like, <laughs> right. that solves that chapter. <laughs> uh, that closes that case for good. <laughs> we then go to a commercial, and when we come back, Mean Gene is in the ring with the baby faces. Welcome back, everybody, to more WCW Monday Nitro. We are live from Orlando. We've got a red-hot crowd, and I don't mind telling you, we just had a Donnybrook here. Hey, somebody... Please, lady, do not throw your underwear in here. It's in bad taste. Now, it's okay. All right, gentlemen, let's get down to the nuts and bolts of what's going to be happening at Hog Wild on Saturday. That's August the 10th out of the Black Hills of South Dakota. Macho Man, I want to talk to you in a minute. You're going to be my guest out there in a special interview. But Lex Luger and Sting, finally, we get down to the nitty-gritty. You are going to be facing Nash and Hall, the Outsiders. And I get the feeling, Sting, that there are some dues to be paid. To say the least, Mean Gene, all I got to say is last week, well, the total package was feeling kind of beat down. You know what I'm saying? But now, the total package in getting ready for Sturgis, along with the Stinger, is not feeling down. We're just feeling kind of mean. I mean real mean. I mean so mean. You know something, outsiders? I got an inside scoop on you, outsiders. Yeah, I know when your birthday is. Now, I'm not one for reading horoscopes or anything, but I just so happen to be thumbing through the pages in the paper the other day, and Sturgis is going to be a real bad day. A bad one for a Leo. A real bad day for Leos. That makes both of you guys Leos, yeah. All right, Lex Luger, we saw what happened last week to you at the hands of this new world order and i've got a feeling you're going to be venting some of that on the outsiders in particular at hogwild from the very first moment the outsiders have come upon the scene you've been pushing all the wrong buttons if you want to push me the macho man and the stinger over the edge well you've done a real good job if you want to see us lose it well you know what gene I am losing it because I've worked a lot of years to get where I am in this great sport. And I care a lot about World Championship Wrestling and you've had nothing but disgust, disdain, and sarcasm for what we represent. But in Sturgis, you're going to learn if I have to punch your teeth down your throat to wipe that smoke off your face, you're going to learn what Sting, what Marshall, Lex Luger, World Championship Wrestling, and all these fans have watched us through the years mean. All right, Macho Man, very quickly. Here's the deal, Hulk Hogan. Listen to me, because I'm talking to you. It's Sturgis, the giant accepted, and you're going to go against them? No, because I'm going to beat you up going down the aisle right in front of all your bikers, brother, and the Army, the Navy, and the militia. Nothing's going to stop me, because I'm going to kick your head in, and there's nothing you can do about it. You understand that? We got a date. Don't be late, sucker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that pretty much summarizes it. According to the macho man, Randy Savage, who knows where the exhaust pipe off one of those Harleys will end up. It has been a great one from Orlando. Good night, everybody. Have a great one. Thank you. Some fan throws something, because I guess he just 
heard that you can throw stuff at WCW events when the bad guys win now and the good guys <laughs> or, won. Or at the end. Yeah, the good guys won and he was just like, yeah, fuck it. I want to throw this anyway. <laughs> but Gene, Gene gets a pretty good burn or just a joke, I guess, more. And he goes, hey, lady, do not throw your underwear in here. Yes. And it gets a huge laugh. Like right. it's a, The crowd loves this line. Mm-hmm. Gene asks Sting about facing the Outsiders. Sting warns the Outsiders that he and the package are feeling mean, and also that he knows their birthdays, and thus he was able to look up their horoscope, which mm-hmm. says that Sturgis is going to be bad for them. <laughs> One, it's no, bad, two, <laughs> bad for you, Leos. Two weeks ago, he gave that amazing promo on Hogan, like maybe the best <laughs> promo of his career, and here he is saying he knows the Outsiders' birthdays. Yeah. It's just this weird shit. It's so strange. Uh, now it's Luger's turn, and he says that the Outsiders have been pushing all the wrong buttons, and it's upset him and Sting, and very quickly he's screaming about how he's losing it, because he's worked a lot of years to get where he is, and at Sturgis, he's going to push their teeth down their throats. Now this is the most animated I think I have ever seen Lex Luger, mm-hmm. and it actually ends up working. Mm-hmm. Nothing he says is any better than anything he normally says, Yeah, but he's so like animated and pissed off about it, I... I for once, I really believed what Lex Luger was saying yeah. instead of just thinking, like, he's kind of a bored guy playing a character. Yeah. I mean, you to me, it was like it was clear that, like, he was given this cue, like, be upset, be animated. Yeah. And he, he, he does it really well. Yeah, I agree. Macho Man warns Hogan that at the pay-per-view, uh, as Hogan enters for his title match against the Giant, mm-hmm. Savage is just going to beat him up in the entrance aisle. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Maybe don't warn him about that ahead of time, but <laughs> I, I kind of endorse the idea. Uh, Gene signs off, and that is the end of our show. Now, over on the other channel, Uh-oh. before we talk about what we thought of this episode as a whole, uh, first I'll recap last night, WWF held their international incident pay-per-view on which the Body Donnas defeated the Smoking Guns, Mankind defeated Henry Godwin, Steve Austin defeated Mark Marrow, The Undertaker defeated Goldust, and Camp Cornette defeated HBK, Ahmed Johnson, and Sid, uh, with Vader getting the pinfall victory on Shawn Michaels to build their match at SummerSlam. Hmm. Now on Raw tonight, over on the other channel, Mankind defeated Freddie Joe Floyd, Goldust defeated Barry Horowitz, Mark Marrow defeated The Goon, <laughs> and Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson defeated The Smoking Guns, via disqualification so the guns uh wwf tag team champion uh chips <laughs> did not change hands <laughs> their belt the belt stayed on the guns is my point gotcha although i would have loved Shawn michaels and ahmed johnson as tag champs that would have been great <laughs> in our ratings roundup that episode of raw which did not sound very good got a 2.2 and nitro this week was down with a 2.6 a 2.7 in the first hour and a 2.5 in the second hour which is the first time since they went to two hours that the second hour has lost viewers. And the Outsiders were in the first hour, weren't they? The Outsiders were in the first hour, and a lot of the first hour was bad. Yeah. So it was like, you're getting kind of bored with the show, then the Outsiders do their thing, and then you're like, meh, you know. Well, yeah, because Outsiders have tended to only show up once. Yes. um, For the most part. So I could see that people are like, oh, yeah, we got our Outsiders filled. I, I don't really care about this six-man or eight-man tag match at the, at the end of the show. Now, also, the second hour was going against the Olympics, where the first hour wasn't. Oh, fair enough. But uh, I believe that the Olympics, I think, were going on during Nitro last week as well. 
and didn't show a big um didn't show a big effect on WWF or Nitro. It seems like mm-hmm. wrestling is maybe a little bit impervious to the Olympics at this point in time. Hmm. In wrestling news, there were a couple of house shows this past weekend, which for some insane reason, the main event was going to be John Tenta versus Big Bubba. <laughs> like, imagine billing your house shows with that main event. Okay. But it's even worse because Tenta had long planned bookings in Japan that had been approved by WCW, <laughs> so they couldn't even deliver on that terrible main event. <laughs> Uh, This coming weekend, Hall and Nash are going to be doing their first WCW house shows. Speaking of house shows, WCW is looking to cancel some of their house shows throughout August because the schedule, which is way less than the WWF schedule, Mm -hmm. is too rough for the boys. And they've been getting a lot of complaints. And I think you'll notice, you know, just sort of as a history has certainly shown this. Bischoff is someone who will cave to the demands of wrestlers a lot quicker than Vince McMahon will. Yeah. Gene Okerlund, I'm not sure if this was on Saturday Night or on uh, Worldwide, but he apparently was doing some promos saying that on the hotline he would be revealing the fourth member of the NWO, uh, but then when you called the hotline, he never even speculated or hinted or talked about it at all. Son of a bitch. Mean Gene, you (laughs) bastard. (laughs) Scott Hall is going to be depositioned either this week or next week by Jerry McDevitt in the ongoing lawsuit. We haven't talked about the lawsuit in a while because there hasn't been a lot going on, but uh, he's going to sit down for some questions from WWF head lawyer Jerry McDevitt. Uh, The Federal Trade Commission has basically approved the Time Warner-Turner merger, so that's going to be moving forward. Sure. The Iron Sheik is going to come into the WWF as a manager starting at the August 19th tapings. Oh, that's exciting. Who do you know who he ma- is it the Sultan? Is that probably who he would be um, in 96? He will be he will be the manager for the Sultan, but I don't is he that Cuz I know the Sultan faces Rocky Maivia at the next WrestleMania. I don't remember if the Sultan was there that much earlier. I would probably I would assume so though. Seems probably where yeah. he, where he's coming from, yeah. Yeah, probably. Triple H has signed a 3-year contract and it's expected that uh, now that he's on a long-term deal that his like punishment for the curtain call is going to finally end and he'll be repushed. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see about that. And uh lastly, tensions in AAA have gotten so bad that it almost came to blows between the faction of older wrestlers led by Pero Aguayo and the younger guys who are led by Conan. The older guys believe that Conan, who is really kind of running the show down there, has allowed the extreme wrestling and Japanese style to take over to the detriment of Lucha Libre. The older guys feel like Conan is ruining wrestling in Mexico, but Conan has the support of many of the young and exciting guys, the um, Mysterios, the Psychosises, the Halloweens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but it's apparently quite the uh, interceding feud down in AAA. So is that like a is it a kayfabe feud that's also a backstage? No, feud? it's only a backstage feud. Okay. I don't think I don't think it's a storyline. Like I don't even think they use it as a basis for a storyline. It's oh. just wrestlers pissed off behind the scenes at each other. Okay, cool. Uh, so that's all there is in wrestling news. Kind of a down week. Uh, what did you think of the show overall tonight, Dave? Uh, not really, not very memorable to be honest. Um. I I mean we we got to learn I feel like we learned more matches for Hogwild. Um I I still am really surprised the outsiders and Sting and Luger is just kind of like a casually mentioned thing where where they were like the two top guys. So I yeah. I felt this is like the show where I felt like 
it, it was becoming obvious that they were they were kind of being put on a rung below Hogan. Um, and again, it's like um, he turned heel and now he's missed two weeks of nitros. And I, I meant to mention this before, and I just always forget to, but I, I the idea of him being called Hollywood Hogan, I didn't remember the fact that that was kind of used as an insult by other guys, by Macho Man and oh, all sure. that. And then he just kind of embraces it at one point. Yeah, because he likes the nickname. And yeah. I think eventually I, I heard, I've been like hearing through other recaps, or I, I forget where I picked it up, but there's a brief period where he calls himself Wood for a while as like a shortening of Hollywood. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till we get to, <laughs> to that. Uh, yeah, I agree. This was kind of a like just a their episode like it wasn't bad it wasn't like you know memorably terrible mm-hmm. um it just was like getting through the week i think you know like i said earlier i like the five week build but i do think it kind of leads to some storylines getting very incremental um mm-hmm. you know like the norton and ice train that was two different segments tonight sort of dedicated to that feud yeah and they only moved forward like a tiny little bit mm-hmm. um so it's just I guess maybe that's what was kind of holding it back. There's no uh, sense of urgency right now because, like, there is a while of build. Yeah. And there's no Hogan this week and the Olympics and everything. And maybe that's why Hogan's not on the show. Maybe he's doing his, like, thing where he disappears when he knows the ratings are going to be down. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but anyway, it, it wasn't a bad show. It just wasn't one that I would tell anyone to seek out. Uh, and, you know, to, to that end, um, something I thought of the other day, we have not put an episode in the Nitro Hall of Fame you remember that gimmick? Yeah, yeah. Like, and I'm not saying we've... There just hasn't been one in a long time that would, like, have earned that distinction. Yeah. And it's not that things have been terrible. It's just, I can't remember... The, it, it. I do think that moving to two hours has has substantially diluted the quality of the show. Right, yeah. I mean, I feel... One of the f- first couple of uh, Scott Hall Nitros, I feel like, was the last one to be in that Hall of Fame, but... Yeah, I mean, I. On one hand, I did kind of forget about the the Hall of Fame thing. On the other hand, we there wasn't an episode that we passed by where I was like, "Oh, that really should have been on there." Right. You know. Yep. Um. I I I would have thought before that the one right after Bash of the Beach was significant, but only had like a couple of moments that, and it didn't really, as a whole episode, seem like a must watch. So, um. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I agree that the two hours is is way too long, especially since they don't really utilize it very well as far as like uh, moving forward storylines or or not having heel on heel matches. They're having way too many heel on heel matches. I feel, and this whole month has been kind of like there's a lot of really questionable matchups that they're putting on Nitro. Abs- yes, that's very true. All right, well, there's only one thing left to do then dave and that is name our mvp and our segment of the week uh i'm gonna start this week and i will start with my mvp and i'm gonna say and i didn't write him down this week so i'm doing this on the fly mm-hmm. uh, but i'm gonna say psychosis um okay. i've really liked the way that he's um just gone all out in all of his matches even though he's on the losing end of all of them it's mm-hmm. just impressive to see that kind of dedication and that reckless abandon um, and I like that he is evolving new ways to sort of engage the crowd, despite the fact that he's not going to be a guy who's giving promos. So he needs to find ways to get over as a heel. Um, and it's just not, he's not like a, he doesn't cheat 
really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's just, it's it's interesting to see that he's managing to become an effective heel character given the sort of limitations of, of working outside of your own language in your own country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I really like Psychosis in this episode. And just overall, I've really enjoyed his run in WCW so far. How about you? What was you, who, excuse me, was your MVP? I am going to go with the Giant. Um, I feel like that, especially since he's still really green, that I appreciate some of the things that he's able to do really well. And the fact that he's embraced this face role that he has, I feel like that he's doing a good job with that. And it just was really badass when he came into the ring and just was like, because there was a whole Donnybrook, and he came in and just like resolved it. <laughs> yes. So not only did he accept Hogan's challenge, he looks like a very formidable opponent for him. So I, I feel like that's a, a, that matchup's going to be interesting. I mean, it's like significant because of the NWO guys trying to go for the belt, in which he's referred to as like stealing it and making yeah. the NWO belt. And th- I think they did a good job of making the Giant look like, well, he's, it's not going to be easy. Like It's not a pushover or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I'll give it to the Giant. And it's it's cool to see how fast he's become a effective babyface character, one that I really, really like. Yeah. Given that his character before was, like, silly. It was like, I'm, I'm going to grind up your bones and I'm a, you know? Like, yeah. It was this Dungeon of Doom over-the-top goofiness. Um, so the fact that all of a sudden he's just like, hey, I'm fucking huge and I chokeslam the hell out of everybody and I'm going to kick your ass, Hogan. Mm-hmm. Like, it's great. It's it's shocking how fast that's, that turnaround has come. Uh, now for my segment of the night, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give it to Psychosis and Eddie. Um, I won't go on more about Psychosis because I already did, but I thought Eddie was also great in that match and I thought um, it was certainly the best match on the show. And though that giant promo was really good, um, I still think it was probably the best. It was the most entertained I was watching this show. Although I think there's uh, an honorable mention to be made for the Malenko-Chavo match, which I also thought was very good. Mm-hmm. What was your segment? Uh, my segment, I'm going to give to the Alex Wright, Joe Gomez, Jim Powers Renegade video. <laughs> because yes. it is, like I said, it has to be seen to be believed. Yeah, I really hope we have like to find a clip to put that online because it's I'll look for one and try to tweet it out. Otherwise I'll, I've always meant to try to find a way to make gifts, mm-hmm. you know, based on the video on my computer. So at least maybe I can make a gif out of some of the good parts. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, they're supposed to be looking like, like cool and, and badass, but they look bored as hell. <laughs> yes. And, and also it's just like, it feels like, yeah, like this stuff works on Baywatch, right? Yeah. We'll just do the Baywatch thing. <laughs> and it's so easy for wrestling, which is very homoerotic just unintentionally. Yeah. It's very easy for it to veer just a little bit too far to be like, well, now it's just very homoerotic. And like almost <laughs> right. like in a way that feels like it has to be on purpose. <laughs> right. Like there's definitely some like producer who's got like. Like Kevin Sullivan's working through some feelings <laughs> in this particular package or, or something. Or, or it's like, yeah, someone's like, there's someone backstage that's really, really into how Jim Powers looks. Yeah. And it's like, well, if I throw a bunch of other guys in there, they won't notice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, I feel like th- that that video is even better for the fact that those guys just kind of just job out like crazy. <laughs> it's yes. this, all this hype. Just... It, like it's like the hype was because they had time on their hands basically but uh no i just 
I hope we have that video up by the time this comes out because that was my highlight for this show. All right. Well, uh, we will find out uh, if there's anywhere to go with those four young gentlemen. <laughs> uh, and the only real other storyline I can think of besides just the build for the pay-per-view that we're going to have to find out next week is what is going on with Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Uh, was he in the limo? Is he being recruited in the NWO? Or if not, where was he? Uh, so yeah. we will find all that out and more when we join you here next time where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. And the man he defeated for that honor will be coming to the ring here in just a few moments to face this man. Uh, tough competitor VK Walsh to be one of the top professional